This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep, Bam going back, looking up, he will watch it fly! And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he plants one. Way back, goal for Yelich! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete so he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All righty. So we have a clip of Dallas Braden and Bryce Harper talking about on Dallas's podcast about baseball players, a big leaguers. Now that baseball's back in the Olympics, Olympics has been postponed till next year in Japan. And let me tell you something, I've been to Japan a couple times. They're going to do an outstanding job. This will not be like a lot of the places where uh, they've just been. It's kind of sad, you know, a place like Brazil, to where they built a golf course. The golf course is basically shot. Everything they built is basically, you know, there, there's so many of these Olympic tragedies uh, where they, you know, taxpayers go out and they spend all this money and these Olympic venues just get run down and they're worthless. It's, it's really a sad story, but that will not be the case in Japan. So, Cody, let me, let me hear Bryce Harper on with Dallas. This is my big, big take on it, too. They have to do the Olympics every four years. You want to grow the game? You want to really take it to different countries and different places? You put the baseball back into the Olympics, but let the big league players play. That is an yeah. absolute joke to me, and I've said it a million so times. So you're going. You're going. WBC, Olympics, Dude, you're going. I'm taking the WBC out. I'm, th- like, I'm not a big WBC guy because no? that's not – it's not the Olympics. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. So if, I, I feel you. no like, and I, I'm not saying it's bad. Like seeing USA win it last time was awesome. Like seeing all those players, how, how much fun they had, but can you imagine being in a foreign country? And I was able to do this at a young age, standing on the line, listening to your anthem Blair, dude, there's nothing better. Like it fires me up sitting here. There's nothing better, bro. You want to say across your chest, you just absolutely put a pounding on the home country and you're standing there going, What's the yes? USA like, and that's it. Reminds you the di- and like the Mighty Ducks, bro. Yeah. Like, yes. Two D three, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's like <laughs> you, you talk about those teams, and you see that you want to grow the game, dude. Like, there it is such a travesty to me that you are sending, and it's I'm not saying this is disrespecting any minor leaguers or anything like that. No, not at all. The 2020 Olympics in Japan in Tokyo, and you're not sending big league guys? Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? 
-hmm. you want to grow the game as much as possible and you're not going to let us play in the Olympics because you don't want to, you know, cut out on money for, you know, a two week period. Yeah. Like, okay, that's dumb. <sighs> I hate to be the curmudgeon here. And I'm not going to talk about amateurs. I'm not going to get into that. Because we've been sending NBA guys, NHL guys, golf we had, pro golfers. It just, it doesn't work. We've seen it already. It didn't work with the NHL. It did. Well, what it's sending NHL players to the Winter Olympics, what did it do? I can tell you, it did nothing for the NHL. They just did golf in Brazil. What did it do for the PGA Tour? Nothing. You got to realize, it, the, the, the majority of people, they watch NBC's coverage. NBC doesn't show a full any event, to the best of my knowledge. They, 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 they take you to all the different events. Now, you can go to an alternate channel and watch full events, but you'll see a little water polo. You'll see track. You're going to see um, cross country. You're going to see, I mean, you go to all these different events throughout the day. They have this coverage on it. That's how NBC works. They're not going to show a full baseball game on NBC. That's not going to change Major League Baseball. Now, Cody, your argument is, oh, this is going to grow the game worldwide. Well, who's going to see it? How are they going to see it? And tell me how it's going to work, because it didn't do anything for the NHL, and it hasn't done anything for golf, and hasn't done anything for the NBA. The Dream Team, for God's sakes, was 1992. No one cares anymore. I look at it from the Dream Team perspective where – you know, a lot of, not a lot of people not might have known about Michael. I mean, a lot of people know about Michael Jordan, but after the Dream Team, he was everywhere, and everyone knew Michael Jordan. And the NBA was a global game. My whole thing with baseball is, you're, if you're trying to market it more and you want your players to be known more, you put them out there for guys to see. Maybe people in Japan and South Korea and Russia and and China don't know who Bryce Harper or Mike Trout are because they're not watching. And it, it's your chance to showcase the best guys in the world, like. I go back to the 2010 Olympics. I remember it was the gold medal game. It was the U.S. versus Canada on hockey. And Canada had far more you know, superior talent, but you, we played them in the, in the gold medal game, and we went to sudden death in the overtime, and Sidney Crosby scored the game winner, and Canada won. But everybody was watching that. I know in the U.S. I was watching it. Well, maybe I'm a little biased because I grew up on the East Coast, so everyone's watching hockey on the East Coast. Uh, but a lot, like, but that, like, sports like that, when you, have, when you have the showcase of the best players in the world playing – I think people will pay attention. Now, I know it's different with baseball because it's a nine-inning game, and, and we got games that are going over three hours long. Are people going to sit around for that? But I think it's a good chance to showcase the talent, what we have in, in Major League Baseball. It's your chance to get Mike Trout and, and, and Bryce Harper and Cody Bellinger and Mookie Betts and these guys, if, they, if they're willing to participate, a chance to grow the game globally and be known everywhere, and it helps their marketability Guys like Christian Yelich, who wants to be marketed. Like, that's the big thing. Like, for me, I feel like that would be a good way to do it because you can see them. But, again, baseball has been out of the Olympics since 2008. The U.S. finished – we finished third in the Olympics in 2008. South Korea ended up winning the gold medal that year. And we sent amateur players, yes. But I, I'm with, I remember what Mike Epstein told us standing, standing in – that was in Japan when he was there. 
standing there and hearing the national anthem and you're just standing there and just the chills you get and everything. Like, I think that's a big deal for a lot of guys, and I'd like to see it. I'm not saying it's going to happen because the Olympics got postponed for a year, and yet you have the delay in the middle of the season. But a lot of people complain about how long the baseball season is already anyway. Well, you want to stop the baseball season for two weeks? You're doing it for national pride. This is for your country. And you want to have an all-star break? Maybe you don't do the all-star break that year. Maybe it's the Olympics. So now we're not going to have the all-star game because of the Olympics? So it can be played on some random channel? It's globally, though. Are people watching the all-star game globally? Great. Great. Sound, sounds great. I can watch it on TNT. Or I can watch it on uh, NBC Sports Channel, which right now you couldn't even tell me how to find the NBC Sports Channel. NBC Sports Network? I don't know what it is. I don't have DirecTV anymore. Yeah, yeah you don't even know. <laughs> All you millennials don't even have cable, so how are you going to even watch it? Streaming. That's that's why it's big. You can stream this stuff for people to see. Everyone's lo- watching stuff you on tablets. For, you can stream the Olympics for free? You, sh- you should be able to. You can stream it on YouTube. You sure? I'm saying this is something you could do going forward. You can stream it for because everyone, if you want to catch what it. I'm saying here? Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? There's, there's obstacles going forward for ev- for everything, but there's ways to get, go around those obstacles too. I think if you want. I'm not starting the sea. I'm not stopping the season for two weeks so you can stream something. There's the value of it. Are you going to air every United States game? How, I mean, I just. Sending pros other than the dream team. And the dream team was a novelty deal. And you had, you just didn't have Jordan. You had Bird. You had Magic. You had these superstars of superstars. And it was, after that, what's been the big thing about sending NBA guys? The 2012 Redeem team with Coach K. Oh, Carmelo Anthony. He's a jerk with the Knicks, but he's such a great American. Nobody cares. So I'm saying, I mean... The Dream Team was an incredible thing because we'd never seen it before. We'd always watch college guys. But after you, after you had it once, every year it hasn't been – it's not that big. You know, is the is, is the world – oh, my God, Draymond Green's on the Olympic team. Nope. So that's what I'm just I'm saying. Am I going to stop my baseball season for two weeks to have these guys go play games against other countries? Maybe the first year it is big. But then every four years, I'm telling you, it dilutes it, and it's not as big of a deal. Yeah, I, I see where, I see the argument from that point where it, maybe in 2021, if it happens, you know, you see Olsen and Chapman playing for U.S., and you see other guys playing for other, you know, other countries, and, and you, Liam Hendricks playing for Australia if they qualify. Because, you know, there's going to be six teams that qualify for the Olympics in 2021 for baseball. One of them is going to be Japan already because of the host country. So you have five teams battling for, you know, all these countries battling for five spots where you can see a lot of these guys internationally play. But, yeah, I, I can see where you do it you do it next year and you see how it does. And if it does well, great. And if it doesn't, okay, you tried it. It doesn't work. You don't do it again. But I can see the argument from both sides where it's it's diluting the game four years later when you have these guys are older. Who's going to want to participate? I don't want it to be where – you got to send the right people. I don't. I don't want it to be you know non-star players going, and that's no knock on them. Like I want the marketability of it. Where with you have base when you have the M- the NBA when we were sending nobody from we were sending lower, not LeBron James, not Kevin Durant over to play in the Olympics. We were sending guys that were fringe stars that weren't you know market household market names, but and they didn't win. That's why they sent the guys back in 2012. 
That's why Kevin Durant, LeBron, Russell Wilson, Andre Godala, Kobe, James Harden, Chris Paul, that's why these guys went and played in 2012 because they realized that basketball is down and the, and, and the U.S. should be winning the gold medal every year. And, and basketball, I think that's something with baseball. I think that winning a gold medal means a lot to athletes. That's that's my personal opinion. I don't know how Major League Baseball players feel about it now because the Olympics hasn't had baseball in 12 years. But I know that to me, I think winning – if I was an athlete, I think winning a gold medal is a big deal. Uh, I would agree. I just – the only thing for me is, once again, after the Dream Team, what does it matter watching our guys go out there and kick the crap out of people? It's not that It's not that interesting anymore. Yeah. Well, we saw what happened in 08 with – was it 08? What year was the, the for basketball where, we, where the U.S. got embarrassed? Uh, I want to say it was 08. Where they lost, I think Argentina ended up winning the gold medal that year uh, when they had like uh, Manuel Ginobili and all those guys. Like they were, I, I remember it wasn't a good year for a good showing for the Olympic team. And they're like, all right, so we're, we've struggled the last few years. We're going to send the best players over. And yeah, if, if you want to stop the season, I know there's going to be a lot of people opposed to that, but there are going to be people who be like, hey, the season's already long enough as it is. Give these guys a break, maybe cut down some games. But I, I don't know how you do, you plan for that logistically. But I think that if you want to market star players globally, this, this could be one of the ways to do it. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I hear you. I just, just, just watching what we have seen over the years, it just, it, it loses its luster really, really fast. And then you start wondering, all right, you know, we're paying these guys a lot of money. And remember, for basketball, they're not in season. Yeah, it's in the summer, so that makes sense. But, but hockey, they're not in season. But hockey, they sent the guys during the season. They take a two. They take like a two week break, two or three week break for it. Why don't you throw up a poll and let's see? Interesting. I could. I could. I could have put one up. But you got it. You would have to have. I mean, I, I'm not sending lower level employees. It's got to be Trout. My outfield's got to be Yelich, Trout, Bellinger, Bellinger, Betts. Uh, my third baseman got to be Chapman and Arenado and Rendon. I don't know how big the rosters would be. Uh, Freddie Freeman, uh, Matt Olson. I mean, I'd have to have the very, very yeah. best. They all got to commit. They all got to do it. Yeah, I'm not saying. You, I'm not. I would. I, I would not be opposed one time, but I think you'd start to see over a while that it just it, it's not as big as you think it is. And like I asked you, do you even know who won the gold in golf? Uh, this was supposed to help the PGA Tour. Oh, Ricky Fowler's representing our country. I remember when that was a big deal when Ricky did it. Um, I, I, I didn't know at the time when you asked me. I mean, I know now, but I didn't know at the time whenever you asked me who won. I had no idea. I remember – I just remember yeah. Ricky yeah. Fowler and – and Rose won the gold, and no one can remember. Yeah. That's uh, my – That – I mean – Now, golf, golf people know. I know. I watch golf. Golf people know. But you're not a golf person. So it kind of proves my point. Like, here was golf its first time ever in the in the Summer Olympics, and you can't even tell me one gold. First of all, I will not stand for slander that I don't like golf. The 08 U.S. Open between Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods, Jesus. Every time I say it now, I have to think about it. When uh, when it was him versus the great Rocco Mediate at uh, Torrey Pines, I watched that. I loved it. Rocco, well, it was a little biased. Rocco was a Western PA guy. He grew up in the town, one town down for me. But it doesn't matter. I, that was incredible golf. The Masters with Phil. Like I, I, I watch all the majors. I'm, I, do I sit there and watch the uh, what's the big one they do in, in the um, in Arizona before this before baseball starts? 
I forget what it's called before the Super Bowl. It's one of the ones. It's one of the big events they do down there. Oh, the Waste Management the way, Open. Am I watching the Waste Management Open? No, I, I'm not. But am I watching the Masters? Am I watching the oh, Open? Wait a minute. You just told me how big the Olympics is. Did we you have, watch the Olympic golf? Well, no. Do we send our best golfers? I mean, no, no knock on on Ricky Fowler. I mean, I think Ricky Fowler's a great golfer, but. The, the, yeah, there was, you know, Tiger was not healthy at the time. True. Phil Gold, you know, that's the thing. It's like you telling me how big it is, and I say, well, did you watch? And you said, no, but this is, but it's the Olympics, and you didn't watch. I watch hockey. I watch basketball. I watch Michael Phelps. I watch the best athletes when they perform. Simone Biles on gymnastics. I watch all of them. I love the Olympics. I watch. I, 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 when the Olympics comes, I'm addicted to it. I tape everything. I watch everything. I'm an Olympics guy. Are you a so, curling fan? Do you watch the curling, whatever that happens in the Winter Olympics? No. Because okay, that's the one thing that kind of took over for everything uh, during the Winter Olympics a couple of years ago, just watching curling. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. But uh, I watch all of the Olympics, too. I love it. It's a, great time. it's a great time of the year when it happens every four years for winter or summer. And I actually think if you go total of events – just from a from a TV standpoint, I think you know. I know gymnastics is huge, track and field is huge. Winter Olympics has a lot of good events. I really, I you know, because as someone who didn't grow up skiing and in the snow, I I, I really do enjoy a lot of the uh, Winter Olympic events. All right, we uh, we looked it up. The leading pitcher. With at least 40 ABs last year from the Pittsburgh Pirates is who, Commander? That'd be the great Stephen Brault, who is a better singer sometimes than he is on the mound. That's no, that's no shot at him. He's a very good Ooh. singer. Stephen Brault, left-hander. Now, I ran this search on Baseball Reference. I looked at starting pitchers who had at least 40 at-bats minimum. Out of the top 50, can you guess how many guys hit over 200? At the top 50? Yeah, so there's 50 guys that had at least 40 at-bats last year. Can All right. You, can you guess how many out of the 50 guys that qualified who had over a 200 batting average? Two. Uh, that'd be nine. Nine out of the 50. So nine. What are we, what are we talking about? 41 I guys mean, I, were below the Mendoza line. I mean, seriously. You people, and I do mean you people, with this. National League Baseball is the way to play. It's ridiculous. You're the only people on the planet playing like this. No one else plays like this. You want to have your pitcher hit? That's an option. But no one does not have the DH other than the National League. I have broken this down countless times. High school, junior college, minor league, America Everybody has the DH but the National League. But yet, people still want to tell you that's the way you should play. That's real baseball. No, you're dinosaurs. No one else on the planet plays like that. If you look, if you go back and look at the pitchers, if you take out Zach Granke and Kenta Maeda, who are now in the American League, only seven guys hit over 200 because those two guys will not bat, wouldn't bat this year unless it's interleague play. I'm with you 100%. Even as a National League fan growing up, I, you know, with the National League, I, 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 was, I couldn't stand watching pitchers hit. Yeah, it was great to see the Madison Bumgarners and Arietas and Zambranos hit when they'd hit home runs and Mike Hampton. But that's like four out of how many guys, you know, you would see four out of every, I don't know, 100 guys maybe that would hit home runs. 
Pitchers don't, what, don't value it. What other sport do you put a guy in where you go, yeah, he's not going to be good? Is there a guy in the NBA, you got five guys on the court, is there four good guys and one bad guy, and you know that guy's going to be bad and you're cool with it? Uh, highly unlikely. Uh, hockey, football, I mean, like, seriously. No other sport says, you know, we're going to have this one guy, we all, we all know he's going to suck, but it's traditional. It's tradition that he sucks and that he gets the opportunity. I don't know of any sport that, that, that has this. And the players' union, it's another job. You just added more jobs in the National League, more high-paying jobs in the National League. The DH, traditionally, is not a stiff. I mean, DHs, who, for example, for the Oakland A's, who's the highest play? Easy question, Cody. Who's the highest-paid player? On the Oakland A's. That'd be one Chris Davis. Um, and what is his position? He is primarily a designated hitter in the American League. There you go. So now all these National League teams, they all have to go find another power bat. So if you're talking about, I don't know, Diamondbacks, Marlins, Mets, uh, Phillies. Mets got Cespedes. Well, if he's healthy, but yeah, but who knows without I mean, you one. look at all these teams though they now got to find Giants, Padres. You just start going around the National League, Rockies. Not the Dodgers; they're the one team this helps. Jock Peterson <laughs> is your new DH. <laughs> By the way, thirty-six home runs. What was the stat I had? Thirty from Palo Alto High. Former great wide receiver Jock Peterson. Um, he had 36 home runs last year. Not one was off a left-handed pitcher. That is probably pretty accurate because uh, he doesn't hit lefties. Well, I'll pull up his stats. I'll pull up Jock's uh, baseball reference page and look at his splits while you go on. But that well, sounds that, about accurate. That that and and that that now allows. I mean, just look at certain teams. Certain days you want to give Manny Machado a break, put him at DH. Did it with the Orioles. But. This is going to be good for baseball. This is going to add no more of these weak double shift. I mean, that's the one thing. When the A's play the National League and you're keeping score, and we're now du- double switching, like, come on, really? I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. No, that, that just all goes out the door. Watching the manager come out and go, hey, you in the outfield, you got to come in. And he's this guy now goes to the outfield. I mean, you, you, you use up your bench. All that goes away. And I know people go, I like that strategy. Well, I don't like three-and-a-half-hour games, so if we can uh, speed this thing up, it would help. Jock Peterson, how many RBIs did he have against the lefties last year? Uh, Four. One. <laughs> One? <laughs> One RBI against, left, against lefties. He was um, 11 for 49 against left-handed hitters or left-handed how pitchers last year. not hit lefty on lefty? Like, some. I mean, like a couple home runs. I mean, it's like you look at Jock Peterson's numbers. It's like he 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 going to the plate against a left hander is absolutely worthless. It's like he can't see. 
Yeah, there's, he can't there, make contact. There's some guys that have – there's some guys that are weird. They have a better – they have, like, reverse splits. Like, a good example of reverse splits that works in his favor is Mark Hanna. He hits right-handers way better than he hits left-handers. There's some yeah, guys I that remember, just happens. I, I, remember, I remember when he first got here. Oh, yeah, well, Mark, Mark Hanna against left-handers, and you're looking at the numbers, you're going – he hits right-handers better than he – and that's why he can be an everyday player. So on this day, May fifteenth, 1941, this historic streak did not start out with anything that impressive. This is the date that Joe DiMaggio started his all-time record 56-game hitting streak. Now, what happened in the game? Joe only went one for four. And the Yankees got pounded by the White Sox 13 to 1. So it's not like, oh man, something special is about to happen. <laughs> they got whooped. He would go on to hit 408, 15 home runs, and 55 RBIs in 56 games. Basically, an RBI a game. Now, what's crazy about that? is Ted Williams at the same time. What did Ted hit during those 56 games? What did he hit? He hit like 412? Yeah, he hit 412. Now, Joe DiMaggio hit 408 with the uh, 15 homers and 55 RBIs. I went back and looked. That was 91 hits that Joe had during that that hit, the historic hitting streak that we will probably never see broken uh, at 56 games. And it's crazy. DiMaggio won the... MVP that year, although Ted Williams hit 406 for the season and led in like four or like six different categories. Oh, I got him for you. How about this? You want to talk about getting snubbed. Ted had the most home runs, 37. He scored the most runs at 135. He drove in 120. He led baseball with a 406 average. He walked the most, 147. His on-base percentage, you don't win the MVP and your on-base percentage is 553. Your slugging is 735. I'll add that up for you. His OPS was 1,287. And his OPS plus was 235. And he didn't win the MVP. It's incredible. <laughs> so he led baseball in runs, home runs, Walks, batting average, on-base slugging, OPS, and OPS+. Plus. And he intentional walks, 25. You put it up, but now you, you hit 406, and you don't even win the MVP. It's not, a, it's not good. I mean, it's, it's not good because he should have won the MVP. He hit 406 at 22. It's not like he was like 35 years. He did it when he was, only, he was 22 years old before. Now, him and Joe both went and served in the military. But, I mean, come on. 406. He let. I mean, I have everything in front of me too. Like it's incredible to think that the numbers that he put up in that year in 1941. Because DiMaggio lost a hitting streak. I believe it was on July. What was it? July 17th versus the Indians, and a game started by a pitcher named Al Smith, who ended up losing the game because the Yankees won the game. But DiMaggio lost a hitting streak on July 17th, 1941, and it started on this date in 1941. Uh, do you want a list of the guys who have the uh, longest hitting streaks since then? Well, let me just say this. It's something like after that game where Joe D went over, then he started another hurt, hitting streak that was like 30-something games. It, it, it Really, when you look at the streak, 
it's it's it, it's it's literally other than one game he hitting like eighty something games. It's crazy. Yeah. So the active lit. So Pete Rose, which you already know, how many how many games did Pete Rose hit in consecutively? Nineteen seventy eight. 44. The next is Paul Molitor at 39 games in 1987. Then Jimmy Rollins got to 38 games between 2005 and 2006. The most recent would be a friend of ours who's been on this program. He did it from 2018, September 2018, till now. That'd be the great Whit Merrifield hit in 31 consecutive games. So that was the record last year. 31 games. Uh, that's still, if I do my math, my California University of Pennsylvania math rate, that's still 25 games behind Joe DiMaggio's record. So, Joe D, so after, so as we said, it's, the streak stops. He then starts another streak. Joe DiMaggio hit a base hit 72 of 73 games. Is that any good? It's uh, pretty impressive for a guy that won the MVP that year. He probably shouldn't have, but who are we to argue about that going back to 1941? I, you know, now that you think about it, dude, you're hitting 72 of 73 games. I mean, come on. I mean, that's just I, – I don't care how many pitch different – I don't care – whatever. The fact that you got 72 out of 73. Now, the other thing we haven't even brought up yet is they didn't shift back in the day. Now, I don't know – I mean, Joe DiMaggio didn't strike out. I mean, you look at Joe DiMaggio's numbers. Joe DiMaggio has more home runs than strikeouts. That's one of the uh, great things about his career. Is he's truly one of the most efficient dudes to have ever lived. Uh, let me see here. Uh, where's strikeouts? I hate how baseball reference when it loads. Uh, strikeouts. Joe DiMaggio had 369 strikeouts and he had 389 home runs. How many guys have more home runs than strikeouts? Uh, I mean, you want to talk about efficient in 13 years, which is not, you know, as you said, Cody, he lost three years to military service. Joe DiMaggio in just 13 years drove in 1,537. I mean, he was such a ball player. I mean, you, you you have more you have more home runs than you do strikeouts. And remember, her old Yankee Stadium, it wasn't easy to hit it out as a right-hander. It's truly one of the most impressive careers. Joe D, former A's coach from Martinez, California. Well, we always like bringing him back to Northern California. He's a Fresno guy, and he's one of my favorite players that I watch. He's one of my favorite broadcasters. No one loves this game more than Rex Hudler. Nobody. And I know it's got to be killing him that we're not playing. Hudman, how are you? It's been a while. Oh, so happy you called my name today to be on not only with you, but to be on with your audience from the beautiful Bay Area. Seems like my career has ran through that Bay Area, three and a half miles south from, or, or hours south in beautiful Fresno. Uh, first game in my life at Candlestick Park at nine years old. I'll never forget it. And then, unfortunately, I was never able to play for, on one of the Bay Area teams, although the Giants hired me in 94 through spring training, and they fired me with one week to go. But look, oh. that's okay. Yes, yeah, that's okay. It's so great to be with you guys, especially talking about ball. 
Well, you know that uh, in so our show, A's Cast Live, people can hear it in Fresno. And you were a legend in Fresno when you look back, uh, not only as a baseball player, but the great days of what you did on the gridiron as a football player in Fresno. Well, the only reason I like to look back is to cherish those that taught me. Some of the great teachers I had in public school there. At Bullard High School, I had some fantastic coaching. As a football coach, I had John Anabo was a fantastic guy. Uh, these guys had Division One college experience. Mike Noakes is a baseball legend in baseball. He, he there he went to Cal Berkeley. Uh, Mike Noakes and got his degree, played some ball, and came down to uh, Bullard High School and turned it into a, a championship caliber team. And so those guys taught me how to hustle. Now God blessed me with some athleticism, so I could run and catch the ball. Two major ingredients in being a ball player. And so. I learned how to hit. Wouldn't, wouldn't about 10, 15 years later, I learned how to hit. But, man, they taught me the essentials, the hustle and the attitude, the only two things you can control as a ball player. The rest you can't control. But if you can control your hustle and your attitude, you can go a long way if you have some talent. So then we didn't know it was going to take me so long to mature, 10 years of minor league ball. But we finally got there and, man, just milked the grand game for everything it had. You know, in your career, I, I always find it fascinating when you come up to the New York Yankees, your manager is Yogi Berra. You've got legends on this team. You've got you've got Dave Winfield. You got Lou Pinella. You got what Don Baylor was there. Uh, Don Mattingly, uh, Willie Randolph. What was it like as a young kid? You come up and you come up with the New York Yankees. That's a great question, and thank you for asking it. Not many people do ask a question like that, but, man, that was one of the greatest times in my life. And at that particular time, Mr. Steinbrenner would buy his free agents, and so that's where he would get his players, not through the farm system that I came up in. And, you know, you're not going to find any players that do six parts of six years in A-ball anymore. That's what I did. Just kind of a log jam back in the in the late 70s, 80s, uh, and – and there was a logjam of, of, of players, Steve Balboni, Willie McGee, so many. And now Bonesy made his debut as a New York Yankee, uh, but they moved him on. So many really good players, Drebeck, uh, Jim Deshays, so many guys. But we all surfaced, and that was, that was the key. We surfaced. But to be mentored by Dave Winfield and have been, having given the best advice uh, anybody ever gave me was, hey, kid, one thing is guaranteed a ball player. What's that? And I didn't know. I was 22 years old. You're going to be an ex-ball player. And, and you know, I've seen you play, kid. Uh, you might be an ex-ball player before you really want to become one. But here's what you do. What you do, you take the blinders off. You look around. You shake hands with people. You, you look them in the eye. You talk to them. You never know. One of those people there are going to give you a job someday, especially the people that come to Yankee Stadium here. He goes, now, when you go where you're going to go, back to the minors, uh, make sure you ask your PR guy if you, if you need a player for a luncheon and you need somebody to speak, that you're available. Learn how to tell your story because you never know how far this game can take you. And this was like Dave Winfield, the only player to ever get drafted in all three sports, major sports, and to take time with a call-up uh, rookie 
and let me fly on him with the uh, on the uh, seat next to him at the airport, at the airplane, and just really uh, sucking all the knowledge I could out of him. But he gave it to me, and I broadcasted for 20 years after after some of that advice I got by Winnie. So um, to be mentored by Willie Randolph, uh, Willie was an ultimate pro. I was behind him as a second baseman. Willie invited me in to take ground balls with him when typically a, a young guy waits till the, the position guy's done, the starter, and then he goes and takes his grounders. But Willie would invite me in. Uh, these guys were classy people, including Ken Griffin Sr. He was on that team, and then there was a, his son, would come bebopping in the Yankee locker room at about, you know, 15, 14, 15 years old. And you could just tell by looking at his swagger, his walk, his smile, that, that Ken Griffey Jr. was going to be a ball player. But, man, let's not forget about senior. Class act, had a great career himself. And Don Baylor, can't forget about him, who really helped me a lot, too. You know, and I think about in your career and what what has carried over as a broadcaster is your love for the game, the hustle, the hard work. It doesn't matter if you're playing or you're broadcasting. Everybody knows that you're giving it 100. It's always 100. It's never below that. It's always fifth gear for you. And I think that's the reason why these fan bases, whether you are a player or a broadcaster, they love you because they know there's no days off for you. You bring it every day. (laughs) Tomorrow's not guaranteed. What the heck? Why wouldn't I bring it today? And what I did yesterday, that's gone. I remember sharing with my son here just recently, who's been quarantined with my 17 and 18-year-old sons, which has been a huge blessing to get some time I'll never get with them. And I was talking to him about, about playing the game and the grand game and how baseball, the next one, watch it on the replay. Oh, man, was that cool to dig yourself. And then wake up the next morning, and they would replay it again. But when you went to the ballpark that day and you shut the door of your car in that parking lot, that's over, man. What have you done for me lately? So the, the, the game of grinding like that was, was really fun, but it's great to be able to share with people um, about the importance of day. Day, day one, day two. Day one first comes before two. It's so important that we focus just in the moment we have and then let it go. And I remember good or bad, mainly bad games, when I was in that shower with 25 nozzles in that a big shower for all these guys, and I would wash the suds down the drain, I would wave to the drain in the soap and go, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. That's a, that offer is gone. And I would go back to my locker, put my clothes on, and then I would head home and love on my wife and then bring it the next day. Every single day, pack a lunch. You know, obviously, it's it's been a wild ride in Kansas City. You know, they went for a time where they weren't very good. The next thing you know, they're they could have won two. If it wasn't for Madison Bumgarner, they would have won two straight World Series. And then now it's back to uh, tough times. Last year at fifty nine and one hundred three, but you know, in a short, if we're talking eighty to a hundred games, whatever it's going to be, it's really anybody's game. And you got a new manager in Kansas City. Well, that's a huge part, no question. But you're talking about Dayton Moore, who's the, the one of the greatest general managers there are in the game today. Brilliant mind. He's not as young as he once was, but I'll tell you what, he has gained a lot of knowledge building from within 
taking a small market uh, organization in, in a great baseball city in Kansas City and rebuilding, having the fan base trust you. They trusted him, and look what he brought them. He brought them back-to-back uh, a World Series, and which never happens, and especially by a major market team like the Yankees, maybe the Red Sox. But Kansas City, you have to tip your cap. Now, that's been five years ago, and they moved on since then, and they, ha- and they, they put all their chips in the middle. And Dayton Moore traded, traded a bunch of his minor leaguers. He traded some really good players, some good young pitching, but everybody went in to win a title. You've got to tip your cap to a guy like that that goes for it. And the whole organization he believed in, and bam, they paid off. Now he's rebuilding. So what he's been doing the last few years, and we had 200 lost seasons in a row, which has not been good. We don't have a bullpen. He went out those years that he was doing that, hiring free agents that were veterans, early in the season that were free agents that were cheap, and then he could turn around and move them at the, at the uh, trade deadline and get some young players. That's what he's been doing the last five years to build his system up. That's what he said he needed to do all along. He stayed on his plan, and he's got some pretty good p- talent right now, especially the firepower. Solaire and, and uh, Whit Merrifield, and honestly, he's got some chips. Uh, and now the, the problem was the bullpen. So who shows up this year? A guy named Trevor Rosenthal, who was throwing 102, and he's looking like he did in the Cardinals when he would pitch for them and close them their games down. He looks good. You got Kennedy, Ian Kennedy, who last year, uh, towards middle of the way through, he he was their closer, saved 20 games. He looks good. So now they're starting to get it back into the bullpen. Greg Holland is back and looking good, too. To mix in with a couple of lefties and a righties, they got uh, strikeout capabilities. So if they play a short season, that bullpen looks like it's going to be able to hold some games, uh, hold some runs down. It's going to be super. And you got some former first-round picks that look like they can be something special pitchers-wise. You know, these kids, Singer, Lynch, Coer. Talk about these young kids that they come up, and now you could have a whole different starting rotation. Dayton Moore talked about the importance of those veterans that he acquired to move them to build up his system. And also said he's going to rely on his draft. And look what he's done. Wow, they had a banner a couple years ago. Uh, a bunch of number one picks, uh, righties, lefties, a couple of them out of Florida. You know, And when I saw the kid singer, when they showed his highlights on our broadcast, and I looked at him and I saw him spit, I went, that's exactly the guy they need to fill in for the late Giordano Ventura that already had that in him. You got to have guys that are tough, guys that only have stuff. But I want to see what you made of mentally, mentally tough guys that are strong out there that aren't afraid to back hitters off the plate. Those are the guys I like, and not just me. Fortunately, Dayton Moore, who acquires them, they've got him three or four guys like that. If one of them hit, that's great. But if two or three or four of them hit, the Royals are back. Watch it happen. And how good Salvador Perez? Obviously, Tommy John and. You know, sat and actually, you know, this time off is probably helping him. But how nice is going to be your leader and your catcher having him back? They added a top tier free agent in the off season by getting getting uh, Salvi back. Are you kidding? And you know, he was there in spirit, you know, and his heart on the bench during this past year where they missed him. But you know, he wasn't anything like he can be. He wants to be a leader. This guy's a winner. He's a World Series champion, a World Series MVP, and 
he knows how to handle pitching and he wants to be a Hall of Fame catcher. Now, as big as he is, I don't know if he's going to be able to last, you know, four, five, six, seven more years, but he's going to catch a long time to be that guy. But if he doesn't, they can move him first. Big target, easy, soft hands. Uh, no question, one of the most valuable players in the American League, period. So you add him with Aerosolaire, who led the league in homers, Witt, who led the league in hits. Mondesi would have led the league in steals had he stayed healthy. He's back. He's healthy. There's your run production. Now you've got to have a staff. The starting staff, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of mediocre as far as you would look at it. Uh, they're good, solid pitchers. Duffy, you got the young Keller, Brad Keller, who was a free agent. Uh, actually, he was a, a rule five guy. He's done well the last two years. Mike Montgomery, they got him as a left from the Cubs. Uh, he's looked pretty good. He's a solid guy, not overpowering, but they have just decent guys in the rotation. But I tell you, they know that it's the pin to win. And in 14 and 15, we didn't have a great starting rotation, but we had that bullpen and we had guys that put the ball in play and they could put numbers up. And the way they steal bases and they run, we haven't even talked about that. The Royals have weapons. They don't only have power. They got guys that get on base. They got guys that steal. Merrifield steals bases. Mondesi steals. Dozier will run. Phillips and Bubba Starling. Those are, those are the, the 24th, 25th, 26th guys that come off the bench, have speed. So the Royals, people know their formula. They've seen it, especially in the business. And they're, they're beware of, of teams like that that can beat you without going deep. 14 and 15, the Royals were last in homers. That's almost unheard of in today's modern game. They didn't need homers. They put the ball in play. They attacked. They ran. They played small ball. And there's a formula for victory. Believe it. Yeah, I let you know. You mentioned Whit Merrifield. We've had him on the program. You know, I, I love the guy. I love his game, his versatility, and over 200 hits. He's a hitting machine, and there there could be some excitement. And the thing is, if we're playing 100, if we're playing 80, whatever it is, it's kind of anybody's game. We had Paul Hembikides on from ESPN earlier today, where he was talking about if you look at last year at like the halfway mark. You know, you had the Nationals, the World Series champion. They were just a game over 500. They wouldn't be in the playoffs in a short schedule. The Padres would have been in the playoffs. There are certain teams that would have been the Like our A's, we would have been in the playoffs if you would have gone from the halfway mark. So really looking at this thing, no matter who you are, if it's only 80 games and you get out to a hot start, Hudman, it's really anybody's game. This is what makes this season coming the greatest ever. There's never been anything like it. Even the strike-shortened 94-95 season. Heck, when we started in May, I was a player then. And unfortunately, I, I'm not proud to, to say I was a part of that. the only World Series not being played. But look, uh, that was our doing. We, we struck. But this is, this is not the players doing. This is the whole world deal. So, so anything can go now. Now I think Major League Baseball should open up. They should experiment. Anything they want to experiment for this season here. Uh, for, for whatever they're going to play, 80, 100, 90, whatever they play, and just grab onto your seats and just ride this wave and have some fun football. Yeah, no doubt about it. I can't wait. I can't wait to see you at the Coliseum. I want to get the Hudman and, and, and Steve Fiziak gets you guys back here up in Northern California. <laughs> Man, we sure have a good time. Now, there's no guarantees that we'll even travel. We don't know what's going to happen. I sure hope so. We just we hope it's going to be like it used to be, but it may never be. In the meantime, the grand game is still the same.
We love having you on. We appreciate it. And kind of one of the things that we've been trying to do here with A's Cast Live is bring on familiar voices. And for my program and my audience, and of course, as you grew up here in Northern California, you're one of those familiar voices to help people in a time when they're locked in their homes. So thank you so much for the time. You know, we always appreciate it and can't wait to see you back here in Northern California. Oh, praise God for all the blessings he's given me in my life to be able to never have a real job. Are you kidding? A player, broadcaster? Oh, let's play ball. Well, when you think about a baseball life, our next guest, you name it, he's had an unbelievable career as a player, as a pitching coach, a general manager. Ron, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate the time. You got it, guys. It's glad I'm glad you had me on. I appreciate it. You know, this this has got to be, I mean, you know, putting your executive hat on, this has got to be a crazy time for baseball executives as you're, you're not sure how long the season's going to be. You're not sure of the rules. You're not sure of how many, how many people you're going to be able to have on the roster. What do you think it's like right now for or general managers around the league? Nothing that I would like to go through, but I'm sure that they all, Probably every day there's some kind of call, changing something, adding something, subtracting something, and trying to figure out which direction baseball is going to go. Yeah, and hopefully we just get a season in. And the thing about that is if we're looking at 80 games to 100 games, Ron, really it's anybody's game at this point. Don't you agree? I think it opens it up, and it might be interesting. Uh the thing is, I hope they, they do schedule enough games in your own division so that a team has to win it, though, not uh, somebody that has an easier schedule. Yeah, because we were actually looking at, like, the halfway point last year to where, like, you would have this – Washington wouldn't be in, eventually the uh, champions, the Nationals, they wouldn't have been in, but the Padres would have been in. And, like, the A's <laughs> – been in the playoffs you know that's the kind of the it's it's going to be a must to get out to that fast start oh it is and yeah i don't know how easy that is going to be to do with we have to see how they set up spring training and when they let these kids get back into these facilities down here in arizona you know we we've been watching the last dance this documentary with Michael Jordan and now stuff is resurfacing about his time with the Chicago White Sox, obviously staying in the Jerry Reinsdorf family when he left basketball for a year and a half and, a, you know, some great video of Tito Francona and, and Michael Jordan. What do you remember of that time when Michael Jordan was trying to play professional baseball? Well, first of all, shock. Uh, we were in the playoffs in 93 with Toronto and, Michael announced that he is quitting, retiring. And uh, I got a call the next day from Jerry inviting me down to his office saying that Michael had expressed interest in trying baseball. And that would, is there a place where we could possibly position him on one of our clubs where he wouldn't get in the way of the prospects, but that we could be fair and give him a, a multiple at bats. So with, with that being said, Starting in November, late November, Thanksgiving time, we had a little college called Illinois Technology School, which was three blocks from the ballpark. And they set up a hitting cage. Uh, he was able to take ground balls, mediocre fly balls. 
And I will give Michael Jordan credit for this. He, I've never seen a guy with better work habits. He, tremendous work habits. He really went after it. That, we spent a couple of months there. And finally, in early February, uh, Jerry said, well, has he shown enough to, to at least come to spring training and compete? And so we agreed it was time. You know, we had Sandy Alderson. Obviously, you worked with Sandy for, for years. And uh, Sandy said he offered him a big league job. And it, I just I think I think Michael was smart enough to know that if he went to the big leagues right away, he'd be absolutely embarrassed. And I don't think Michael Jordan, with all the success and the greatness from what he did at North Carolina, the Chicago Bulls, would have been ready to be an ultimate failure at that point. I, I, I think because he wouldn't have been, a, you know, he's not going to be playing every day. I mean, what, what kind of disaster would that have been if he would have gone straight to the big leagues? Oh, it would have been a disaster. But also, remember this, you would have been playing through Phil ballparks every night. He... It was unbelievable how people flocked to him, how just uh, the initial when we brought him into spring training, the crowds that showed up and all the games down in Birmingham, both in the road and, and at home, complete sellouts. The people were, it was fanatical about how they were going around trying to get an autograph and see him play. And, you know, you, you'd hear the stories how he, he bought the team bus and made it better. And, you know, when, when, when you look back and you were talking to the people that played with him, what was their experience like? Most of it was really on the plus side. They, uh, Michael really made it easier because, you know, he had the luxury. He had a jet plane. He could have flown to all these places. But he got on the bus and, you know, playing cards, playing dominoes with all the kids and, and kind of after the death of his father, I think he really needed this to relax, to get away. And I thought it was a real good idea that he did that. And, and along the way, uh, I just remembered one little tidbit. I got a phone call when Michael first started, got a phone call from Southern Florida, and it was Ted Williams on the phone willing to work with Michael Jordan. That's how big it was. Wow, that, you know, we just had Mike Epstein on the program because we've been celebrating the A's and their World Series championships. And of course, Mike, longtime hitting guru, but Mike was on the 1972 Oakland Athletics, the Hares versus the Squares when they beat the Cincinnati Reds. And we learned a lot about, you know, what what Mike learned from Ted Williams. Can you imagine just just being there? and see like shooting a video, you can make a documentary out of that alone. The greatness of Ted Williams with the greatness of Michael Jordan. Well, I, I was in shock. First of all, I thought somebody was playing a prank on me. Why is, why is Ted Williams calling me? But uh, I, I took it to Michael. I took it to his agent and to Mr. Reinsdorf. And they decided at that time we had a popular hitting coach named Walt Reniak. And they decided that's who that was going to who was going to work with Michael. You know, I think about your time with the Athletics as a pitching coach in, in the early '80s. Back back in the day, uh, Ron, your guys didn't go five and dive like we have today. Uh, it was a different <laughs> era. Talk about that era. How your guys took the ball and they would go eight nine innings. Well, Oakland was fortunate because they had three four guys that 
you didn't even have to send the bullpen down there. They just stayed out there forever. Uh, we just lost a good friend of mine, Matt Keogh. He was one of them. And, and uh, just the memories, uh, the innings they gave you, uh, they all were battlers. They competed so well. But basketball back then, it was wonderful working for the Haas family. Uh, Mr. Haas was a wonderful man. And finally, when in the late 80s, when we came back and won uh, a World Series, it couldn't have happened to a better general, gentleman and owner. Yeah, I think about Sandy Alderson because I know we talk so much about Billy Bean and Billy Bean, you know, potentially someday being a Hall of Famer because he, he, he's helped change the game. I also think of Sandy Alderson. I mean, what Sandy Alderson did, it, you know, really changed the franchise. Here's a, here's a guy that's not a traditional baseball guy. He was a lawyer. He built three teams that went to a World Series, won the World Series. Uh, just talk about the greatness of Sandy Alderson. Well, Sandy was great to work for. Uh, he was a little inexperienced in the beginning in baseball, so he asked a lot of questions and, and took a lot of people's opinions. But the biggest thing I remember, the winter meeting of 88, I believe it was, we were in Texas, and Sandy got up on a board, and we were trying to get Bob Welch in a deal. And we kept going back and forth and back and forth. And Sandy was, after a couple of days of this, was getting a little frustrated, and he slammed the chalkboard and just said, guys, I know there's a deal to be made here. And it just showed you that the work ethics that Sandy had and really he did. He pieced together some very, very good baseball clubs back then. Yeah. And I think, you know, you look back at some of these guys that we now celebrate their greatness, but you didn't know what you were going to get out of Dave Stewart. You had no idea that, that Dennis Eckersley is going to turn into a Hall of Fame closer. You know, there were certain guys that, you you, you know, they, they were projects that the athletics turned around and they end up becoming great under Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan. And it, it, it's truly remarkable when you look back at what some guys showing up, where they were in their career and what they end up being. Well, that's very true. Uh, I remember Eckersley, I was one of the guys that Sandy sent out to, along with Dick Bogart, to scout uh, two, three times in spring training. And he did. He was having a bad spring. He wasn't throwing real well, but Dennis Eckersley threw strikes. He had great command, great control. And just uh, another guy, though, great competitor, to see him do it. But I'm looking at some of the other pieces, too, and we went out and had a Tony Phillips who could play everywhere. Guys like that. And the way Tony set up the bullpen with all the different changes to the left-right combinations, it really worked out well. You know, and then I think about your time with the Chicago White Sox. There were some really good years there, and you had some really good teams and some great players. And I think about the guy that ended up showing up uh, – over with the athletics with a guy like Frank Thomas, but talk about your time with the White Sox because you had some really good success. Well, we did. We had a few good years in there and, and was able to compete. Uh, you know, I did have Frank Thomas. The big hurt was, was outstanding. Another guy I'll throw a name in there since we're talking about legends is Bo Jackson. Uh, we took a guy whose career was over in football uh, I met with him. We we did a surgery and got him a new hip. And sure enough, a year later, we bring him in in the ninth inning to pinch hit. His first at bat back after a year. 
and he hits a two-run homer to win a game. So it's athletes like that gives gives the game a lot of fun. It was it was good reminiscing to go back and see what we did, and uh, I enjoyed every bit of it, even as a player, and and then on as a GM. Uh, I mean, you think you you talk about the greatest athlete of all time, in my opinion, it's Bo Jackson. When you can be all pro in football, when it's your hobby, and be an all star in baseball, you know, it's always the debate if he doesn't get hurt in that game, and he gets to have a full baseball career. How good do you think Bo Jackson would have been? I think we're looking at at the guy down in at, with the Angels, Mr. Trout, uh, with the speed and the and the skills he had, the strength. He's uh, he was some kind of competitor. He had a lot of tools. You just wish that he would have stayed healthy just to see to have the opportunity to do that. Ron, thank you so much for the time. It's an honor to have you on the program. Like I said, when you look at a baseball life, when, when you played in the big leagues, you're a pitching coach, a scout, a general manager, you basically you've done everything in this game. It's an honor to have you on the program and bring you back to the A's family. Thank you, thank you so much for the time. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll talk to you once we get baseball going again. All right. Well, I appreciate it. You know, last year uh... – I have 53 years in Major League Baseball, and last year was my first summer off. And to tell you the truth, I didn't like it at all. I'd rather be out there watching ball games. <laughs> well, hey, anytime you want to come back, I'm sure there's a lot of teams that'll take you. Yeah, I would love to do it again. It's still fun. I still enjoy watching nine innings, and I'd love the opportunity again. Take care, Ron. Thank you, guys. Dallas, how are you, my friend? I am well, Uncle Townie. How you doing, big dog? Hey, I got to say, I, right now I've got eyes on you. I've got a visual on you and that, that. that lettuce right now, folks. I know you can't see what's going on right now, but we've all been to the gag stores in the mall or at the strip mall, right? We've all been to Spencer's, hashtag no free ads. And we've all seen that visor with the wild and crazy like white hair attached to the top of it, right? That's exactly what you look like right now, sans the white lettuce. Sans white hair, you are that You are that merch right now. Okay, so <laughs> my wife is like, you got to cut it. And I went, you know what? I've never had long hair in my life. I'm Let, gonna it, go. Let it eat, baby. Let it eat. You're wearing it well. Oh, yeah. Let it grow. Let it grow. <laughs> Let it grow. Oh, God. Don't get me started, Tony. <laughs> my word. Now that you got kids, how many times have you seen Frozen and Frozen 2? Oh, are you kidding me? I'm I'm out. Um, I mean, I'm trying to create aliases to to try to bring in more like like stimulus checks so I can afford the the rent fee for trolls too. You can't buy the damn thing yet. So I've I, I have put it like this: at the end of this thing, when it goes public, if my name isn't somewhere on like executive producer in this thing, like there, there's a problem because I have spent entirely too much money on trolls too. At this point, but yeah, doing well, Tony. Doing so. Well. I, if you, you as a former player, read the room as good as anybody, and so the player, so the the, the thirty owners have agreed on a proposal. They're going to give it to the players' union tomorrow. And Tony Clark, Scott Boris is already out there telling them to reject it. Yeah, there's thirty three million people in the United States of America who don't have jobs. Yeah, I just. 
if you start haggling hardcore and threatening not to have a seat, I mean, it's just tone deaf. It will not fit well. And these these people who are unemployed will never forget this. Not at all. But I think before we can even go there, you have to understand that to even entertain the notion of getting back to a point where sports are being played, even in the most naked sense, no fans, no right? You have to almost, you have to be okay with moving past or even rationalizing what you would otherwise be facing if you were in a conversation with somebody six feet away about what is going on in the world. Like, like you, you have to just move past the idea that this isn't a good idea. That's, and that's, that, for me, that's, that's one of the craziest things about what we're doing here is we're just trying to get, look, if you know anything about what's going on in Korean baseball right now, they're already rumblings. There's already some dust kicking up about, Oh, you know what? The league, the league is starting to get put on notice because I don't want to say it's revamping. It's, it's not revamping itself over there. Uh, but the, the disease or the, the virus, excuse me, is starting to again, creep and starting to prevail in places where it otherwise was was considered you know under control to the point where we could go about life where you're playing baseball that that kind of stuff like we're just we, we have to remember that those are the things that are going on you've got players who are and and the oakland a's have players who are you know susceptible at a higher rate even though they're professional athletes there's guys that have health conditions that make them very susceptible to some of these, uh, to, to some of the ailments that come along with COVID and, and the fact that it's not just the disease at times or the virus, excuse me, but, but what you might have going on. It's, it's, oh, Tony, you're just, you're asking a lot. Look, there's a, there's a group of people who don't have families who would tell you just like I would, if I didn't have a family, show me what steps I need to sleep on to make baseball happen. And I'm there. Uh, as somebody who has a family now, that mindset is forced to shift. So whatever the owners are going to be coming for, look, and there's already conversations about, you know, Hey, that whole deal we signed about the money and all that. Um, can we revisit that? Can we talk about that? <laughs> and as you've already seen players come up and say, you know, we didn't get to revisit my MVP campaign when I wasn't making MVP campaign type money. So I don't know that you're going to have a ton of guys willing to revisit something that's already been agreed upon. There's, I mean, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's just yeah, it's, it, I mean, it, it's, it's scary times and we want to get back to normal as fast as we can, but we have to be smart and we have to be careful. And and we really need the KBO, the Korean baseball organization, to work. Now, if you've been watching it, and I know you're a traditionalist, if you've been watching it to where they encourage the entertainment, they encourage pit, pit, pitchers to fist pump and yell at the dugouts and bat flips. Could Dallas Braden play in the KBO? Oh, my God. Are, Tony, are you kidding me? I would have become – given the ability to sort of create a character, right? You, every five days, you would have been seeing somebody that the WWE would have been running out there. Uh, <laughs> like, are you, absolute, like, I would have showed up to the Coliseum like Dallas Braden, whoever that guy is. That's not who you'd be getting every five days. You would be getting somebody completely different. And then I'd be the guy, you know, like, oh, man. Like, I, I might even go third person. Every four days in between the fifth day, I might even go third person and start referring to that guy, you know, like, instead of, like, me. It would be a whole persona 
absolutely. Come on, they've got their own glove with their own silhouette on the webbing of their own glove. And I thought that was cool when, you know, Darvish was featuring that, you know. Guys like it's like, oh no, you go over there and like you've heard guys talk about it. Like you could be in the lower league, like lower leagues over, doesn't matter. You are pimped out to the fullest. Like what I call style monkeys. Just you've got absolutely every like shin guards front and back. Let's protect the calf while we're at it. You know, if you've got an inner thigh guard too, I'll strap one of those on. Just absolutely every bell and whistle you could possibly imagine. I'm here for it. These bat flips are so epic, and we're going to have some people on tomorrow who are over there. My big question is, has anybody gotten hurt from one of these bat flips, like the guy in the on-deck circle or maybe in the dugout? Because these guys are winging the lumber. I mean, victims of stray wood, Tony. That's a title. That's a headline right there. It's a it's a miracle that these things – like, I did this thing when when we were out here in Southern California at the Easton um, – like a, like an Easton baseball event. And we had a bat flip contest and I'm all like, let's just, let's get some chalk out. Let's line these things distance and trajectory. Let's start making a thing of it. Like, I mean, that's how we're looking at it right now. Cause we want any and all facets of entertainment, but I, I feel like at some point in time, there's going to be a, there's going to be a stray barrel. Someone's going to catch a hot one. So, you know, thinking about the way they play, is it possible Major League Baseball players could say, hey, guys, we got we got to entertain the fans. If we bat flip, we're not throwing at anybody. If you strike somebody out and you're pointing at them or you're pointing at the, your own dugout or whatever, no one's charging the mound. Can we get to a point where we can all just say, hey, listen, this is the entertainment business and nobody's throwing at anybody anymore and let guys have a good time? I, I I will say that I think we are slowly but surely just true to baseball form getting there. And I don't mean that you and I are ever going to see the total overhaul and a KBO style approach to the MLB just because there are, you know, for every five or six guys who come up and are a flash in the pan and have great style but then kind of fizzle out, there's going to be the 15 16 18 year vets who who keep the game in their sense and in their bubble the way it was when they came up right and that's not a bad thing i'm not saying it's a bad thing at all i'm just saying there's going to be a slower slog of evolution like we've seen in baseball past before we get to a point where everybody is in i mean come on people hate coming to the coliseum because they hate the drums they hate the cheers they hate the kazoos and all that jet like they just they, they don't like it they can't stand it because it's something that they're not used to. It's just a vibe and a culture that they're not accustomed to. So until you start to get entire fan bases on board with that kind of stuff, will you see an entire league or an entire game shift its, you know, I guess level of acceptance for that exuberant celebration? We had, we had Rosales, your, your, your old buddy, Rosie, Rosie. on Friday. And, of course, he was playing second base for the perfect game, so we wanted to talk to him because it's the 10-year anniversary this last Saturday of your perfect game. And when Cody told me that, I'm like, it's been 10 years? Yeah. Crazy, man. Insane. Think of all the things that have happened to all of us in our lives the last 10 years since the last time you threw the perfect game. I'm responsible for two small human beings. I am a beekeeper. Those are just a couple things that have happened in the last 10 years. I mean, 
It's it's incredible. I live in Southern California, a place that I had swore off my entire existence. Never ever been here for five plus years. Like you have, yeah, you have no idea. The fact that I'm even still alive, Tony, that's a victory. Didn't, <laughs> didn't know I saw that 10 years ago, you know, one day at a time, my friend. Well, you're, you're a little hungover that day too. <laughs> you know, you put yourself behind the eight ball on purpose. You don't expect that, uh, that expiration date to look too attractive. But for me, it's, uh, man, I, I've, I, I've talked about this with you before, just in, in, in different parts, but, and, and you have an understanding that day, not a great day for me as far as celebration goes. It wasn't something I was looking forward to, never. And I don't know, you know, and that's kind of what has taken, I guess, so long to really come forward with any sort of detail about what that, and I'll say like what that 48 hours was like, because what happened the night leading up to that night, what happened the morning of, of me getting to the game, and then what happened after, like that's all, <laughs> that's all stuff, honestly, that like just the people that have experienced it know. And it's because, when you hear the words or you hear the phrase, like you couldn't script that or Hollywood couldn't come up with that. Like I, you, you don't even, I, you don't even, you don't even talk about it because it would just seem fake. Right. So, uh, but, but for me, it, it's, I, I was, I wasn't necessarily proud of it because I did, I had three guys that were younger ball players at the time, ball players at, at UOP college ball players. And we're getting after it together. And, and, you know, at my house, it's not like we were out at the bar raging. There, none of that was going on. We were actually watching UFC fights and just, like I said, getting after it. And um, like, what kind of example was I setting for these kids who were probably looking at me, you know, like, like, damn, this is where I want to be. And like, they're great. They're loving it. They're soaking up every moment that they're having, you know, get faced with a big league ball player. But uh, after that, it's like I'm, I'm trying to show them that, look, man, you know, this is how you're responsible for things. This is how you and it just that that was the last thing I was doing at that point in time. So to brag about that or to even talk about that, like a or, or put it place it like a feather in my cap. That wasn't something I was ever like interested in doing. But it's, you know, as time goes on, I'm able like I wish I could I wish I could divulge the text messages that I got from each and every one of those dudes the night before on on saturday night it was it was great it was it was awesome because it's just kind of reliving that moment you know as you said 10 years down the road now so there's a different level of appreciation because each one of us is at a different place in our lives but we're able to kind of go back to that moment in time go back to that night uh kind of try to piece together what was happening and you know it's yeah it's it's fun and Let's think about this. Some guys throw perfect games. They'll show it back then like ESPN will show the highlights and everybody goes, oh, that's really cool. But all of a sudden you're on like Good Morning America and you're doing the talk show circuit. So to think where you were with those guys to throw the perfect game and now you're going on national national TV with your grandma. I mean, it was wild. Well, that's I mean, there was about a yeah. And within 72 hours, I went from tying one on in my living room till about three in the morning with some college kids to sitting down at the ballpark at Arlington talking to David Letterman, you know, like and and uh, I think I'm fortunate to, to, to be just dumb enough to not realize everything that was happening at that time, because people, you know, I, I guess you could kind of be caught by surprise. You could be and I was just I was so very fortunate. And still, I'm so very fortunate to be like, I, I tell you every time, man, the only reason my phone rings, the only reason I get to talk to you, Townie, is because I had one decent day of work, man. And I don't ever, ever forget that. 
Ah, oh, you're better than that. Come on. <laughs> they, one, one day counts. <laughs> uh, you know, I keep hearing people talk about, you know, players got to get ready. The one thing that we're seeing on Twitter and following these guys, everybody's still hitting, everybody's still throwing. Uh, so I don't think they're, it's not like everybody's sitting around getting fat. Everybody's still running, staying in shape, staying ready to go. What would you be doing at this point to get ready for a season? Well, that would be exactly what I would be doing for me. I don't know that I would know how to, like there would be a certain curtailment. If you, if that's a word, if not, you're welcome. I just gave it to you. Uh, there would be a certain curtailment of my, of my workload. I'm going to be trimming the fat here and there to make sure that when we are then given the green light, I know that that is going to be a green light to a time of preparation as well. So whether or not I'm ready to go nine right now, I don't know that that would benefit me, but could I give you five? Could I give you four or five right now? I think that's probably a good place to try to stay understanding that when you get into that space where they're going to say, all right, here's five weeks or so, to go get them, to get back up to where you were. I think at that point in time, you're giving yourself a good shot to have stayed healthy through all of this and to compete during the abbreviated season you're going to be going through. And ultimately, that's what I think is going to be on everybody's mind from beginning to end is, can we just get through this healthy? That's going to be the, and, and obviously I mean healthy as far as, you know, virus protocol, but I also mean healthy because of understanding what you're asking these dudes to do. This is not like, I get it. You buy a Ferrari, you want to be able to walk into your garage, turn it on and go a thousand miles an hour before you even get to the end of the block without having to warm it up. I get it. But as athletes, as finely tuned as these individuals are, that's not a, a realistic expectation. You have to give them the opportunity to grease their wheels, to oil and lubricate these machines so that they can get up. Because once you get these machines up, they don't get put back in the garage, right? They run at a certain RPM for 162 at minimum. That's what needs to be understood. So asking them to get to that point in such an abbreviated time, that's going to be tough. That is going to be tough. Let's end on this. We had a guest earlier today talked about, you know, if you looked at the midseason of 2019, the Nationals wouldn't have been in the playoff and the Padres would have been. So it just goes to show when we do get this thing started, it's going to be the ultimate sprint to the finish line. And so many teams that get exposed in a 162 game schedule, that's not how it's going to be here. Well, it's it's different. It's going to be crazy because I think there's two ways to look at this, right? Do you extend your starters knowing that they're not going to be man in the post 30 plus times each guy? Or do you run it like, I don't know how much MLB the show you guys have been playing, but do you run it like where it's a, uh, you know, where, where, where it's like a, 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 what you call it? A uh, road of the show, not a road of the show game, but like a challenge game. Um, three innings. Do you just start running? Like if it's a nine inning game and you know there's going to be an abbreviated schedule, is it like, look, hey, pedal to the metal for four and then let's turn it over to these guys because we're going to, hey, sleep in the offseason. 
Sleep once this 82 game abbreviated, whatever this is, is over. Once this is like, but I are we in position to just go pedal to the metal? That that's a, that's an assessment that's going to have to occur. What's going to impact that? The window of preparation you're given before the season starts, how guys look coming out of that and into the season, and then what guys look like, say, a month and a half into an 80-game season. Because that's right about the halfway point, somewhere around there, right? Month and a half of 82 games, 41 days. Let's see where we're at there. What kind of health are we dealing with? What do the arms look like? I know for the audience, it's good to hear your voice. For me, it's good to see you on my computer. As uh, just to see uh, other adults is a nice thing these it days. Is. <laughs> it is. It's great. You can. I can. I see a face, a familiar face. I see two familiar faces. One I just want to squeeze and kiss right now. The other's you, Townie. And <laughs> the commander. <laughs> so I, right. I, I appreciate. I appreciate the hell out of you, boys, and I appreciate all the fans tuning in, listening. And I know you guys are craving any form of baseball whatsoever and if you just take stock of the team you are a fan of you've got a pretty good reason to be tuning in each and every day because if it's not something regarding the ballpark that may pop up if it's not something regarding a roster decision because there are key free agents that are going to be impacted by this abbreviated season we're only going to get a glimpse at our boy in the six hole Marcus Simeon, there's a lot of questions that I'm sure you have, a lot of answers that I'm sure you want. And if you're going to get those folks, it's going to be here with Uncle Townie and the commander. So hang tight. These guys have done an outstanding job. Um, Uncle Townie, I appreciate you, my friend. Cody, you too as well, man. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to just talk to the fans. Be safe and be well. And Cody, what do you want to say real quick? Uh, Dallas, my fiance Dina said, uh, your Mother's Day Mimosa video was inspiring and and that we're going to do your tic tac toe game very soon. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. It is. Oh, buddy. It is. It's a treat. You're going to find out just how athletic your significant other is. If you get that tic-tac-toe, it's, it's a, a beer pong flip cup tic-tac-toe execution. It's the trifecta, Tony. I, I, whoever came up with orange juice and champagne in the morning was brilliant. I mean, I talk about you want yeah you want to talk about spin zone that is the ultimate spin zone right here. What do you mean I can't have champagne? Yeah, it's not good for you before noon. Oh, hold my beer. No, hold your own beer. I'll go get this one hundred percent freshly squeezed OJ. Mm-hmm. Now who's winning? I am one nothing mimosa guy. Yeah, if 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 I pull out a little bullet bourbon at nine a.m., people are gonna think you got a problem. But if I do champagne and orange juice, we're not all good with it. Down, you want to talk bourbon? You need to go get a bottle of Jefferson's, uh, Jefferson's by the sea. All right, this yep. is bourbon, Jefferson's by the sea. This is bourbon that is taken and casked and placed on a ship. And the ship obviously runs these routes, these shipping routes. Um, but the idea is the constant motion of the ocean. Mm-hmm. For all you folks out there who are seafaring individuals, the motion in the ocean allows and or it promotes and expedites the uh, the casting process, the aging process. Excuse me. So it's it's just a different, you know, it's a it's a nuanced sort of uh, sort of way to go about bourbon. I think everybody knows I'm not afraid. <laughs> Get it in you, my friend. You deserve it. <laughs> Take care. We'll be in touch. All right, Uncle Tony. We'll see you guys. 
Well, we got a special treat for you baseball fans and A's fans here on A's Cast Live. You've been watching them on ESPN as it's the only live sports we have, and it's become fascinating to watch the KBO. Daniel Kim is with us from Korea, as we like to say. He's in the future. He's a day ahead of us. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's uh, great to talk about some real baseball. Uh, KBO was a... Uh, the first week was awesome, so I'm here to um, glad to talk about it. How much fun are you guys having with the broadcast? Uh, in terms of, I mean, with ESPN, uh, yeah, we're, there were some technical issues here and there, and it's hard to kind of um, have a regular broadcast because none of us are together, sitting together in a booth. So we're kind of getting used to it. Hopefully, uh, hopefully this week it'll 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 get better. But all of us are, I think, just really happy to see some real live baseball um so we are trying to make the best of it but i think we need some little bit of a uh, a spring training ish time for us um so but it's been good yeah we're having a a a, a, a good time right now i gotta tell you having you know obviously we were starved for sports i mean you can only watch so many classic games and classic events and i've been watching and we'll get into the brand of baseball i've really been enjoying that but but the the first question I think a lot of us had was what's it going to be like playing without fans? And I got to tell you, from the very first game, you just kind of it's not like you're really that big of a deal. You're just we're watching baseball. You're not worried about whether there's fans or not in the stands. Right, you're completely right. Um, the first couple of innings, it's a little bit odd and weird, but I think once you go into the deeper into the game, um, the viewers at home get used to it, players get used to it, broadcasters get used to it. So. Uh, for Korean players, they've had uh, preseason games without the fans. They had a ton of intra-squad games at main stadiums without the fans. So they had plenty of time to get used to the uh, new environment. And um, those of you who have seen the games on ESPN would pretty much feel the same, I think. First inning or two, it's a little bit odd. You hear some uh, noises uh, that you normally don't hear uh, from a baseball game, but after three or four innings, you know, you're, you know, it's just another baseball game. And, you know, I heard today that some cases are going up in South Korea. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know what I believe anymore. You know, there's so many different things coming numbers wise and everything. So our numbers going up there since, you know, shelter in place, it has changed there. And is the league worried? Very worried right now. The entire nation is worried right now. Uh, I think KBO is uh, operating under the assumption that second wave is here already. Uh, they're uh, pretty much um, on an emergency type of a situation right now. Um, this past weekend was a long weekend in Korea. There were some couple of holidays that kind of crunched in together. So it was six days off pretty much, uh, including the weekend days. So I think there were a lot of people that were out. The weather was great. Um, there was a sense of uh, false sense of uh, thinking that it was uh, the whole COVID-19 situation was over in Korea, but it really wasn't. So people were out. They were going clubbing. They were, they were they went out to the parks. They went out shopping. So uh, this particular uh, second possible outbreak took place, uh, started out in the... Uh, out in um, a, a, a nightclub st uh, street um, and uh, 
I think that um, we're not seeing the numbers. I think uh, it'll take up another week or two to get really get an uh, understanding of what really happened. But uh, everyone is uh, pretty much, uh, you know, getting prepared right now. And KBO2 is very concerned. I think with times like this, you got to kind of think ahead, meaning that you got to operate as if the second wave has already started. How are you guys handling the players? Are they in quarantine? Uh, are they being told not to go out? Uh, you know, because one guy gets it, everybody's going to be paranoid. So so take us through w- what's going on with the players when they leave the ballpark. Basically, it starts with the moment they, they wake up every morning. Uh, they need to check your de- uh, their own temperatures and report that to the trainer and make sure that the temperature is within a uh, normal range. And then... Uh, you're allowed to leave the house. Uh, they're not really quarantined. They, they live at their places. They commute to the stadium. Once they come to the stadium, whether you are a home player or uh, a visiting player, uh, there's like a set entrance where your body is scanned. Um, their temperatures are checked. Uh, make sure that there are no any symptoms. And once you prove that uh, you, are, uh, you don't have any symptoms, then, then you walk into your clubhouse, get ready, and it becomes uh, just another day at, at, at the park for all these guys. And that's just, that's just been the uh, routine for uh, all the players. Uh, but before the season started, basically all the players were told, if you get this, chances are your season is going to be done. Someone else is going to take your job. Someone else is going to uh, take your starting job or a spot on, the, uh, on your roster. So you got to be smart, uh, not just for the team, but for their own good as well. Uh, these are com- competitive environment. Uh, there are jobs at stake. Uh, the, you know, these guys want to have a long career. So uh, you know, all the teams basically told all the players, be smart. Don't go out when you don't have to. Stay home. If you get this, chances are your season's going to be done pretty much. So uh, that's been the message to all the players from, uh, from the team, uh, from uh, team officials. Was there ever an idea to not have the players in the dugout and to have them in the stands where they truly can social distance from each other? Was that ever, was that ever brought up? Uh, they, it was brought up, but, uh, as you know, you know, in, in baseball team settings, that's really uh, unrealistic. You know, they play together. Um, you know, they they get dressed in the same area. They you know, take shower together. And as much as uh, social distancing is uh, is required or needed at this point, um, if the healthy if the players seem healthy, uh, they just didn't feel that it was uh, realistic to keep that going for 144 games. So um, I, that, that idea was out there, but uh, they realized that it really wasn't realistic to enforce it. So um, once, like I said before, once the players come to the stadium, it's just another day, pretty much the same day uh, as it was before prior to COVID-19. Do you think that maybe, and I don't know what's going to happen with Major League Baseball as they try and get started, do you think maybe it would be smart to play with a mask on? Play play with what mask mask face mask that that we're all using. Uh yes and no. Uh, I don't think masks uh mask in this situation would hurt anybody. Uh, but I don't. I'm not too sure if players would feel comfortable 
because I've spoken to a couple of players that, and they have told me that it's really uncomfortable, especially when you're running the bases and, and the pitchers as well. So um, I am not a health expert, so I can't really tell you for sure, but um, KBO decided that it wasn't necessary at this point. Um, but uh, you know, having a mask on wouldn't really hurt the situation. So I think that should be definitely be considered as well. All right, let's get to the fun part. All right. All right. So obviously, I we can see each other. I can see that you're a Mets fan. You grew up in in in, uh, in New York before right. you moved back. Um, uh, the bat flipping is awesome. It's a, and you know, old school baseball people. If we were doing that, everybody start throwing at each other. <laughs> but I like the fact that players are being told to be entertainers. Pitchers can celebrate. Hitters can celebrate. It's a it's just what is it like to be around where these guys are they're they're truly entertainers. Right. Uh, I think they feed off uh fans, their reactions. Um I think one if you're a baseball fan, I, I I always tell this to my former colleagues and my friends back in the States that if you are a baseball fan, you should at least come out to Korea at least once in your life and experience the atmosphere in Korea. In order for you to truly understand how this bat flip thing started, you got to be at a KBO League stadium. Then you'll understand the energy is really different. Uh, very high energy. The fans really get into it. Uh, they all stand up pretty much the entire uh, throughout the game. They sing. They chant. First inning. Doesn't really matter what the score is. So where did the bat flip, how did it start? Nobody really can pinpoint to a game or a moment. But it just happened naturally. It became part of the fabric of KBO. And if you actually come out here and see the game, experience it for yourself, you understand why it became a part of uh, KBO and how uh, players feel comfortable to, um, to flip their bat because there's so much energy coming from the stands and the atmosphere. You know, the players uh, would say that you know, they feed off the energy from the fans and... Um, if I were to uh, answer a question as to how it started, how it became a part of KBO, I think that would be my answer. Well, I got to tell you, I've twice been over to Japan with the athletics. And, of course, we play against Japanese teams when they're there. And I love the bands are going and for, for the teams. I mean, it's just it, baseball in Asia is just such a celebration. It's a lot like college football. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've been dying to ask you this question because we knew you were going to come on. Okay. Some of these bat flips are so outrageous. Has anybody ever gotten hurt, like on the on deck circle? Coming because these bat these bats are flying everywhere. Has everybody been hit when they're not looking? Not yet, but there were some couple of uh, close calls. Uh, uh, a couple of a couple of bat flips that I remember were actually accidentally went towards the pitcher. Um, so. Uh, that was dangerous, and there I know what there was actually a, a flip last year, and the player got heavily criticized for it. It almost hit the catcher behind the plate, so it re became it was really really close, and uh, he was actually uh, heavily criticized by the fans from both sides, uh, and that was that was the only two instances where I could think where uh, uh, it was actually uh, seemed deemed dangerous, but. Uh, luckily it hasn't happened yet. So hopefully it doesn't in the future as well. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you and ESPN, what you guys are doing to, 
keep us entertained here on the West Coast. The games are coming on at 10 o'clock at night, and it's just been a lot of fun just to see baseball and to see the entertainment and maybe this is the future maybe major league baseball we be more like this someday but let, let's stay in touch we appreciate it we'll continue watching and promoting the games and hopefully everybody stays safe and we have baseball because you guys you, you guys are the template if we're going to get it going here you guys got to make it work there well you know what my life is not complete until major league baseball comes back i hope you guys all stay safe and kbo is great but uh, I don't know about you guys, but I need KBO and MLB going together simultaneously. So I hope that they come soon. Thanks for having me on. You know, one of the things we've been doing with A's Cast Live, and, and we like to tell the audience, we like to bring on familiar voices of people that you know, because I know it makes you feel better when you're locked up and uh, you've been in inside too long. And Dan Straley, obviously a familiar voice, an Oakland athletic, now pitching over in South Korea, joins us here on A's Cast Live. And with our technology, we like to call it millennial technology. Not only will they get to hear you, but we get to see you. It's good to see you. Yeah, Anahaseo, as they uh, say over here. So, hello, everybody. And I think about, t- tell us how the first week has gone. Uh, it's been different. Uh, it's been just empty stadiums, um, you know, weird kind of coming and going rules. But at the end of the day, like, just so blessed to have baseball in my life, so blessed to have games going that I'm able to overlook all that kind of stuff. And just, just be excited and just try to be in the moment when I'm there. I got to tell you, I've been watching it. And I mean, the league will get into the entertainment side. It's an entertaining league. But, you know, after a couple innings, I'm just so happy to have a live sporting event and to have a baseball game that like, I look around. I don't care that there's not anybody in the stands. You forget about that after a couple innings. Uh, you really do. Um, I notice it more on the days that I'm that I'm not pitching than the days that I am throwing the ball. But when I was out there pitching, like I was just kind of like locked in and like trying to get the guy out. You know, he's trying to bat flip me and hit a homer. So like I'm just trying to strike him out, you know, and and uh, you don't really notice how quiet and like eerie it is until like you're done. Um, I'm sure it's different for the position players because like they're the ones like, you know, they're having to fill a little more uh, imagination in their mind and having to, you know, the, the time between pitches trying to get locked in, they probably have time to look around and see how empty it is, which it is. But once you get going, like, it's just baseball. Like, you just miss the crowd noise. You miss the energy from them more than anything. Yeah, it kind of takes you back to your college days when you had, like, a inner squad game against your teammates and there was nobody in the stands. That's what it kind of reminds me of. It really does. It really does. Because even like uh, I was saying this the other day, like even like a, a a Tuesday afternoon game against a non you know popular team, and like when I was an A, like or even when I was a Red or a Marlin or an Oriole, like when you play some of these midweek games, like there's it's not as crowded. Like there's no secret. Like there's just not that many people there. But there's still like when we say not crowded, we still mean like eight to ten thousand folks. Like. We're not talking about zero. Like zero is so different than eight to ten thousand. And like I'll never complain about having like very few people at a game ever again in my life. Like I'm just this is this situation has put so many things in perspective for so many of us. And I will never ever take for granted anybody that comes to a baseball game ever again in my life when this is all over. So from a safety standpoint. What are you guys doing? What's the league doing? Because obviously you're the template for Major League Baseball to get going once again. 
we uh so when we're at the hotel when we're at the field we're it's it's uncomfortable to say out loud but we're not allowed to interact with fans like you're not supposed to sign stuff um that kind of thing i actually asked if i had rubber gloves if i can sign things and people said that's fine so i carry some rubber gloves with me because like these people are just so excited that like i have a hard time saying no but the when we get on the bus the the team takes your temperature to make sure you're good to go and then when we get off the bus like my team took my temperature getting on the bus we get off the bus the stadium we're going into they take the skate so everybody make sure that you're like you're good to go and you sign a thing saying that you haven't had x y or z symptoms in the last 24 hours just to make sure that everybody's good to go um a lot of a lot of hand sanitizer no high-fiving you're not supposed to spit at the field um umpires wear gloves and masks bat boys wear gloves and masks like a lot of people wear gloves and masks just to try to like you know keep anything any germs they would have to themselves type of thing are you able to go out and about in the town uh, yes. Yes. Um, we still do it cautiously, though. I mean, we're still none of us want to be the reason that our league gets shut down for three weeks. And so you're still trying to be as responsible as you can be. But um, at the same time, like I had to go to immigration office yesterday to get uh, my card for over here. And then after that, like our translator drove us up to this like kind of like cultural village. It's called it's just like this really cool little village dug into like a hillside that they painted bright colors and it's beautiful. And we went up there and kind of walked around a little bit and like everybody just kind of like keeps to themselves, even though you're like out in public and you're out doing something like there's still like no one like congregates in the same area. Like you still kind of like keep your space, but you know, all a common day for me to just stop at a, a Starbucks or stop somewhere on my way to the field, stop and get some lunch. Oh, my son's calling me. Hold on kind of like do something like that where you're just, it's a lot more normal than, than, than expected basically right now here. Yeah. That's kind of been the, you know, the tough thing for so many people here in California, especially Northern California as as we're starting to open up a little bit, but it's still uh, pretty much on stay in place and and lockdown. Uh, You know, having been over to Japan twice with the A's and to see how, over in Asia, they just love baseball. They're fanatical about baseball. That's That's got to be, I mean, when you do get the fans in, the energy is going to be incredible, especially when they get to see baseball again. But I think you get the sense, as you said, people want autographs. Uh, they're great baseball fans in Asia. There are. And they the age range is so different than America. Like, it's like kids to, like, grandparents are – at games like it's just a different vibe where it's just everybody like has been like all the videos i've seen i haven't seen it in person but the energy like i just kind of like imagine it somewhere along the lines of like 2013 alds back in oakland like kind of loud where like i can't hear myself think on the field type of vibes and that's like what i've heard it's supposed to be like here like especially at my stadium that i'm playing in i'm playing in one of like the older, the originals. And, and they said that the fans here, um, when you're winning, it's the best place to be in Korea. And when you're losing, it's the last place you want to be in Korea. So uh, I love that though. I just like, kind of yeah. like that. I love that kind of like passion that you kind of, you kind of expect with that going into it. It's, a, it's like playing for the Yankees. If you're not playing well, New York's a miserable place to be. But if you are playing well, you're on top of the world. 
Yeah, every time I've gone to New York, I've just been yelled at and told how much I suck by everybody I run into. So uh, I can't imagine being on the other side of that. And when you're struggling, uh, what that feels like to hear from your own fans wearing the same colors as you. So, yeah, uh, no, I know it's all part of it. And the, the passion and, and the pride of it all comes into play. And uh, at the end of the day, like you appreciate it as a player, even if it's not always positive geared your direction, like you you just feed off it and you love it. So. Tell us about the entertainment part of this game. These crazy bat flips. You got pitchers who are, you know, fist pumping. And, you know, and, and I hear they encourage everybody to do this. What is it like playing this style of baseball? So it was introduced to me as it is not a, uh, it's not a showmanship thing. It's not a showing you up thing. Uh, when you, when you bat flip here, like a guy fist pumps or slams his chest on a strikeout or stares at people. Like it's like, they say it's like part of like finishing the swing for the fans. Like it's in there. They, they literally like, that's the way it was presented to me. Like, no, it's just like, it's an entertainment thing. Like it's, we're finishing our swing. It's part of the show for the fans. And I, I get it. I do. And I just have to remember that. Like I joined them. I joined their league. Like they didn't join Dan Straley's way of thinking and, and my way of doing things. Like I literally joined them. And so it'd be, uh, it'd be wrong of me to, to, to treat it any differently than that. And so I haven't seen any crazy ones. Um, our team is like, we've hit a decent number of home runs and like, we have one guy that has just an awesome bat flip, but like, it's not like this epic bat flip. It just like looks really cool. Like the way how smooth it is. But I haven't seen any like, you know, Bautista like bat throws or anything like that yet. But um, I've seen some clips of like foreigners like doing fist pumps and, and pounding their chest. And the Koreans just like eat it up and they think it's so fun. And and uh, I mean, they're probably making fun of us. I don't speak the language, so that's OK if they do or not. I don't really that that's fine with me. But, you know, that's not really who I am as a pitcher. I've never really done that. I've always been taught like, you know, just like don't show emotion. Don't do this. Don't, you know, just, just be the even consistent person on the Hill, but it's kind of hard not to get caught up in some of the fun here, especially when you can like hear the other dugout chirping at you the whole time, which is totally different than anything we're used to back home. Um, you know, just like the other day I was pitching and these guys kept yelling like, Oh, you're tipping, you're tipping in English, like trying to like yell. And so I just threw three fastballs by a guy and I just yelled in their dugout. Was I tipping there? Like, how come he didn't hit it? Like, was I tipping? And so like, it's just like, it's some of these weird things. Like, it's just like part of it that like you stuff that I never expected coming over here is like kind of happening. And it's, again, it's just different and different. Isn't bad or good always. It's just different. Do you think this could ever play in the United States? Um, I think the hitters would love it and the way things are going in MLB, like there's, we all know there's enough home runs that there's not going to be opportunities. Um, and if, I don't know, like, I think time will tell. Um, I think that, you know, as a pitcher, a lot of guys take it so personal when you do give up a home run and it's kind of like, you know, don't shouldn't have thrown the ball there. Like I get it. Like, but, you know, I've played with plenty of guys that, you know, watch it and they, you know, they have their version of just like celebrating their own homer. And like when it's on your team, like you're all for it. But for some reason, it's just like ingrained in us that like when someone does it against you, when someone 
you know, screams when they fly out, you're like, you automatically think like, you know, like, well, you, you also almost just missed the ball completely. Like you didn't just miss hitting a homer. Like, so it's just kind of like part of the competitive nature of the game where I'm not sure how people would react over time. And, um, you know, if there could ever even be really socially acceptable by pitchers, I guess is really what we're the big question there is. You know, last year, the baseball was a joke. We know it was juiced. You pitchers, I mean, I mean, this is your livelihood. You you know how the ball reacts. Last year it was like a a cue ball. There were like no seams. Is it nice pitching with a different baseball than what you had to have last year? Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of differences in in certain things between these baseballs. I'm actually holding one right now. There's a lot of differences between this ball and the ball back in America, but they're it's like subtle things like the if you take this ball and you're sweaty and you just like the sweat gets on there and you just kind of like get rosin, the ball is no longer slippery, like, but it's not sticky. It's just like there's enough tack that you don't feel like you're gonna lose control of the ball. So they've given you everything that you need in this league to have zero foreign substance when you pitch. They've given you everything between it being hot, so you're just sweating, and rosin, these balls, those three things, you're good. And it's incredible to me that these guys have done that because they've essentially completely eliminated foreign substance in this league. So everybody is on an even playing field when it comes to throwing the baseball. And um, the seams are a little bit bigger, but not like absurdly larger than, than you know, Major League Baseball's. And obviously the the size and weight is the same, but it was an adjustment to be honest. Like it just cause it was different. Like I said earlier, it doesn't mean it was good or bad. It was just different. And so uh, learning how to shape my pitches, learning how to, how I hold balls with this was a little bit of an adjustment, but luckily not luckily, but we had a three month spring training to, for me to be able to figure that out. So I was able to get that job done. How is it interacting with your teammates? Um, it's in a way like humbling to be on the other side of, that 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 situation there's so many times in my life where i've been one of the english speakers in the group of english speakers saying hi to a you know a, a japanese guy or a taiwanese guy or a korean guy or even guys that you know speak spanish or you know just any any different language and to be to be the foreigner is uh kind of a a, a different a humbling experience in, in terms of a whole nother side of the clubhouse that I never even had to think about. Like, you know, I've always just been like, you know, this is the way we do it here. And like, you know, it's just, you know, you're gonna have to just understand that's just how it's done here. And now I'm on the other side where it's like, I'm the one that has to understand that's just how it's done here. And um, yeah, like I said, like it was just kind of an adjustment. My teammates here have been absolutely amazing. They've been so great. They've been uh, welcoming and uh, just accommodating with everything. We've gone out to dinner. Most of them, like a lot of them have taken us to like their favorite restaurants or, you know, gone to do this or do that with different guys. And so it's been really nice. Um, our translator has been great. And so he's been willing to just kind of come whenever we need him to help us out and take us places and meet up with guys. And it's really helped us be more comfortable, which at the end of the day is the team's goal is for us to be comfortable and be successful on the Hill. So it's, it's working. When's the next time you're going to pitch? uh friday or saturday find out here i'll go to the field here in a little bit and we'll get scheduled dialed in for sure well hopefully we'll be able to get to see it on espn because they've been running these games and it's just been so great just to have i, I mean as much as we've enjoyed all the great games and the x game you know 
football games and baseball games and golf tournaments. I mean, but at some point you can only watch so much history. You want to see something that's real. And let me just say, uh, it's big that you came on because this is really helping out a lot of baseball fans, especially our A's family, uh, to hear your voice and to hear you. And, you know, you're always going to be an A and we're always going to appreciate you. So thank you. So and for me, it's great to see you. And if you don't cut your beard, I won't cut my hair and we'll see what it looks like in a couple months. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Hey, it's always great to talk to you. Be well, be safe and uh, keep getting outs and keep blowing it by them. Appreciate it, Chris. Take care. Well, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on A's Cast Live. Of course, the last time we saw you what was at the wild card game. And I got to tell you, for baseball fans, thank you. Thank ESPN for this coverage of the KBO because just giving us something live, something to watch and entertain us has been fantastic. It really has. I mean, it's, it's been fantastic for me. I mean, uh, let alone having to get up at the wee hours of the – morning in my case a 3 30 wake up call and and um to get ready for the 5 30 game and and the logistics of it i got to give a lot of credit to uh to everyone behind the scenes that have made this happen at espn i mean the creativity at the beginning a lot of people were skeptical um what do you think should we should we not um you know they they were able to reach out to the spo network over there in korea and and they were uh, nice enough, uh, obviously, with um, uh, some economic standpoints also to benefit them, but nice enough to at least give us a signal for us to be able to do what we do. And it's been a lot of fun. You know, we recently talked to Daniel Kim and also former A's pitcher Dan Straley about how it's working. And the great thing, I think, for us in Major League Baseball is the fact that over there in Korea, it is working. It's giving us a template of how we get started here in the United States. It really is. And, and um, you know, I think all eyes are on that. I talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of front office personnel. I'm interested in knowing what we've been able to find out via the interviews and everything like that. And we're trying to, I mean, we are working tirelessly. This isn't just about the game for us. This is about being able to um, to educate the, the rest of the country when it comes to what we are living through right now. They are, they are obviously a few weeks ahead of us. And, uh, and they've been very successful, at least in the country of South Korea, with what they've done. Um, and we're just trying to learn. We're trying to learn the daily routine of what the players do. The players are asking, um, what can we do? And I know all eyes are on – they know all eyes are on them, and we are what uh, visually people in this country are, are seeing. So we want to make sure that we have um, all the dots uh, – all- all the dots and T, all the eyes covered with all the dots on it and the T's crossed and whatever it may be. But there's a lack of sleep going on, as you can tell, that I can't even dot my eyes or cross my T's. <laughs> well, hey, uh, what you're doing for us is awesome. And, you know, talking to Dan Straley, where, you know, here in America, you're not taught to be this super entertainer and pump your fist and look at the other dugout. They encourage that for their pitchers. Of course, the bat flips are absolutely epic. It's a showman's game. What have you really noticed while covering the KBO? You said something that was, uh, you know, that catches my mind every time I say it. It catches me, and it's a game. It's a game. They're playing the game. They're not working it. Um, They're emotional about it. The pitchers will be emotional about a pitcher. They miss it. Uh, the, the hitters are going to celebrate every time they barrel the ball, they lift it. 
equaling a home run to it. And um, if you're going to get offended by it, you're, you're not in the right league. This is about uh, celebrating. And I think there's a lot of celebrating to be done. Unfortunately for us, we can't celebrate um, a full stadium uh, over there because they say, and everyone has said it, that with the, what makes that league go is their fans, the way they celebrate, the tailgating that happens before and after. Uh, the, uh, you know, every time they score a run, even if they're down 14 to 2 or, or 18 to 1, they're still celebrating to the last out because for them, it's a release from their work and, and being able to have and spend time with their families and enjoy it. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that when they get to open their gates and little by little, it'll, it'll become even more uh, entertaining. And hopefully by that time, we've already had started baseball here in the United States. Yeah, I, I've been with the A's twice over in Japan, and, and we always get to play against uh, Japanese teams, and they have their band, and every guy who walks up, he's got his own song, and they're chanting the whole time. It's, it's like a college football game. But I'll tell you what, and I asked Dan Straley this, because, you know, we all play college baseball. It's kind of like an inter-squad game against your own teammates, like when you were playing Florida State, where there's nobody in the stands, and you're playing a game, and, and – he said, like, after a couple innings, you don't even notice. And I'm watching you guys. After a couple innings, I don't even notice that there's not even people in the stands. Come on now. You should have seen that. Did you see yesterday's game with all the mannequins in the background? I thought no, I didn't cool, see that. All the cutouts. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you, you know what, though? They, they have at least allowed their, their cheer squad to be above the dugout and uh, continue to cheer the teams on the home teams have. And I think that's uh, that's a plus for what they've been able to do. I think another plus is, and SPO has been able to provide like a nat, uh, the background sound of the game. So we're not just talking like we're in studio. At least at home, you have that feel that there are people there. You still hear them uh, cheer, especially the dugouts are livelier. It reminds me of a lot of when I used to go to the softball games at Florida State when I was there. You, you see the cheers and um yeah, each hitter has their own song, but their dugouts are, are alive and pumping also. And, and it, it, it tells you something. They're celebrating that they are playing just like they are in Taiwan, but we're televising these games here in the United States. And, and again, it's a privilege. And I remember when I got the first phone call, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was from, the, um, from Forbes magazine. They wanted to interview us. And, and the first question was, how does it feel to be the only English-speaking commentator broadcasting a baseball game in the world. I was like, damn, that's real, dude. So that, that was pretty cool. You know, speaking of your time at Florida State, there was that time, you know, you guys with Mike Martin, and then you think about Bobby Bowden, and, and the football team is in the top three uh, every single year, just pumping out NFL guys. You guys were pumping out big leaguers. There was a time where Florida State was so dominant in athletics. It was unbelievable. It, it really was. I got spoiled. And, and uh, a skinny kid coming out of Puerto Rico and not knowing the tradition of the Seminoles, not knowing what it was all about, um, I lucked out. I lucked out that I, I took the phone call. I answered that ring, and, and, and it was Rod Delmonico at the time, the head recruiter of Florida State, um, luring me there. It was the only offer that I had ever received uh, to go to a, a, a school to play baseball. Uh, so 
uh, I felt privileged. I felt privileged once I, I took my recruiting trip over there and I was like, wait a second, you guys want me to come here and you guys are going to pay part of my scholarship. I'm in, where do I sign up? I would have signed immediately. So, and that's exactly what I did. So it was, it was definitely, um, I lucked out for those three years that I spent in Tallahassee and to this moment, I'm, you know, I'm still grateful for all the friends and, and experiences that I, that, that made me I'm, who I am right now and developed me into this, into this person that I am now. You know, we've been celebrating the A's winning three straight World Series, 72, 73, 74. Uh, recently had Joe Morgan on the program. Of course, he's from Oakland. And, you know, you start talking about 72 was the big red machine, being a little kid. But later on, you would be in that clubhouse. When you look back as a little kid and you're walking through that clubhouse, what was that like? I mean, this is a big red machine. You know what? It's, it's uh, it's, <laughs> I'll tell you this, as a kid, you don't know any better. You really don't. It's, this is the life that I grew up in. Um, this was my dad's work, and it was our hangout. And we would go. We couldn't wait till my dad let's say, okay, we're going to the ballpark. And my brother and I would jump in the car, and there we went. We went to the ballpark to play with the other kids. Um, and, and just being around it, we had that winning environment. A lot of credit goes to, obviously, the talent was there, but Sparky Anderson embraced the kids. Um, and gave us rules and, and, and set barriers for us and, and, and told us what the importance of winning and competing was all about. So at the end of the day, um, uh, during that tenure, you had five kids that ended up going in the first round. You had 12 of us that ended up signing professionally. You had, I think, uh, I believe it's eight or nine of us that made it to the big leagues. Um, and to this day, we're pretty darn close. I mean, Junior called me the other day. Uh, Pete Rose Jr. calls me also. Um, the hit king, Pete Rose, just texted me maybe – 30 minutes ago, um, making a comment about a fly ball in the, in the KBO saying, wow, what's, what's that left fielder doing? Not rounding the ball, getting in front of it, getting ready to throw. The guy would have never left from second base. But just because all those little things, I mean, the, the memories that we have and uh, the, the family atmosphere to this day, that continues. You mentioned Joe Morgan. Joe's one of those guys that if he sees that I broadcast something that's wrong on TV, He's the first one to call me. Oh, maybe Pete will beat him to it. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a family, and it's still, to this day, uh, a family atmosphere with the Big Red Machine um, is to our family. And as a matter of fact, when I broadcast games, I have a Big Red Machine ball right next to me, signed by all of them. You know, when we were going through that World Series, you know, the greatness, because, you know, you're talking about Hall of Famers across the board on both teams, the A's and the Cincinnati Reds. And, you know, there were two guys that were in their 30s that were, you know, when you talk of the core guy, it was Pete Rose and Burt Campanero. But other than that, everybody was in their prime. And that's when I think when, we're, when the Reds actually start winning in 75, 76, that core was so strong, truly one of the great cores in history. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, and, and you look at, you, you end up seeing what, what it all meant to. And, and again, in the seventies, don't count Pete that much out. He's 79 right now. I'm starting to, I'm, you made me think because my dad is uh, about to turn 78 tomorrow, as a matter of fact. And, and uh, to be able to, uh, to get those guys actually growing up together in the organization via the minor leagues, they knew how to win together. They knew how to lose together. They knew what they needed to compete at the major league level. Um, they all had a role. And because they all knew what their role was, 
um, it was it was a lot easier for them to uh, to come in and capitalize. I remember a story that my dad and and Pete were telling me was that Sparky Anderson called them into the office and 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 told them and said, "Hey, we have a chance to make a trade with the Houston Astros for a little guy, um, uh, you know, a young player, Joe Morgan." And um, they're like, well, "So what are we waiting for?" They're like, "Well, I don't know if you'll fit in well or not to the clubhouse." And they're like, "We don't care about the clubhouse. We'll take care of that." we know he'll he'll help us win and when they did and it was uh it was a memorable two years of i remember celebrating with the reds in their uh in the caravan after they won in 75 and 76 being the red sox and the yankees two historic teams so that right there set set aside the cincinnati reds set them apart from everyone else at that moment unfortunately bob Housen had to trade my dad away for woody Fryman to the montreal expos and um, that was pretty much the, the beginning of the end for the for the Reds dominating. Yeah, we were just kids. And you remember, you're like, man, but Pete Rose is now a Philly and your dad's an expo. It's like, what the heck are they doing? Yeah. I mean, it all changed and it changed pretty quick. And, and you know, that was a free agency at its infancy. Uh, the, the money started going up a little, uh, little by little. And... You know, players that were historically bound to organizations, that was uh, pretty much a rarity. And in Pete's case, I know he would have wanted to start and finish with the Cincinnati Reds, but it took him to Philadelphia and from there to the Expos and then back to, uh, back to Cincinnati. Let's end on this. You know, we're, we're seeing all these guys on Twitter. They're working out. They're throwing. They're hitting. How long do you think it would really take if we say, okay, start date is July 1st. How long do you think it would take pitchers, hitters, and everybody to be ready for a start date? Wow. Um, a lot of people say, if you ask the position players, they say, give me two weeks and I'm ready. I, I don't think so. I think it's going to take at least three if you expand the rosters when it comes to, for the pitchers. We have to make sure that we cannot assume that the pitchers have been doing everything they've had to do to get ready for a season. Um, this, is, this is a power league, and that's one thing that a lot of people can't get the KBO that we are broadcasting right now compared and, and try to confuse it with what's going on here. We have a lot of guys that throw in the, in, you know, in the upper 90s. It's max effort what's being taught here. A lot of these guys are in the big leagues because they throw hard. It's not because they can execute a two-seam fastball in the corner or a slider down in a way to get the swing and miss. Um, that being said, we have to make sure those arms are as healthy as can be. If not, we're going to end up with a lot of guys, even more, um, hurt because of it. So I would say three weeks, and that's pushing it, and that would be with a 28-man roster to be able to do it. I've always said, let's have a 35-man roster at the major league level, and then let's condense that to seven guys out of that day game roster, meaning you'll protect seven arms and maybe a position player or two from getting or injuring themselves a little bit more and not forcing the manager to have to use them because they have to win that game. Let's face it, this is going to be an abbreviated season. And um, because it's going to be an abbreviated season, it's going to be a lot of pressure on the managers to be able to win and win fast. This is going to be like a winter ball where, you, where you're going to be under the microscope and if your players do not react right out of the get-go, you're, you're going to be left behind no matter how much talent you have on that squad 
Well, I, I can't say it enough. I, I, you know, for all baseball fans, thank you to you and ESPN for what you guys are doing because you're giving us some relief and giving us some baseball, something to watch. The classic games have been great, but it's it's a, a lot of fun just to be able to turn on the TV at 10 o'clock here in California and watch, watch, watch a little baseball. Thank yeah. you so much for what you're doing. We truly appreciate it. And uh, get some sleep. No, that's overrated. Sleep is overrated. I have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I'll tell you this. 12 hours guaranteed Thursday night to Friday. Guaranteed. Hey, you take you take what you take care and be well down in Florida. You got it. Stay easy up there in, uh, in the Bay Area. Well, now joining us, he's our national baseball writer here in the Bay Area from the San Francisco Chronicle. He's one of my favorite San Diego State Aztecs to go along with Tony <laughs> Gwynn and Michael Cage. And he's the author, along with Willie Mays. How cool is this? The book is 24. Life stories and lessons from the Say Hey Kid. The great John Shea is with us. John, I miss you. How are you? I can't go to the yard. I can't see you. What is up? How are you? I know. It's it's just brutal. But, I mean, if there was ever a good time for a book to come out where people have a lot of time on their hands, I mean, you can. I'm looking at it right now. You can get it on Amazon.com, delivered to your house. Uh, we talked. We just recently talked about Willie Mays because uh, you know we were airing all these different uh, World Series from the 70s and watching Willie Mays at 42 years old in the World Series in 1973, and we we did a deep dive on his stats and. Uh, Willie Mays, his numbers are just incredible. So everyone knows about war, right? Every you know, it's a new stat. It's not going away. It it wasn't around in Willie's time, but it you know includes your offense. It includes your defense. It includes your base running. It's an all encompassing all encompassing stat. And a ten WAR in one season, pretty good, right? Great season, like yeah. MVP, epic season. It's been done nine times since. 2000, nine or 10 times since 2000 by hitters. Bonds did it three times. Trout did it three times. Three or four other guys did it once. Well, Mays, in his five-tool prominence, averaged a 10-war over a seven-year stretch in the 60s. Averaged 10-war. So he was having monster seasons every year. There's a great quote from Bill James that he gave me. He's a great the godfather of uh, the analytic movement, right? I mean, he was on the ground floor of advanced data. In his quote, he says, Willie Mays' best season is every year. Just pick one. They're all great. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's – and he's also very unique, you know, for great Dodger players. Uh, and, uh, of course, you think of Vin Scully. Guys that starred in New York – and then they come to California. It's like you start in some of the biggest markets and you play in multiple markets. So you're a star on the East Coast and you're a star on the West Coast. It's, you know, it's, it really had never been done before. And it fits him. Hank Aaron, Milwaukee, Atlanta. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't as flashy as Willie. Willie loved to entertain. Hank wasn't out there as much as Willie. In fact, he told me in a chapter, Hank on Willie, Willie on Hank, that he couldn't do the things Willie did, and he'd even try to do the things Willie did because they were so far removed from what he did, and he was a steady, great performer, doing things right, making the right play. Well, Willie didn't hit the cutoff man. He threw over the cutoff man because he thought he had a chance to get the guy at the plate or third base, 
and and he made more errors because of it. He took a lot more chances, but that was his shtick. He wanted to entertain the basket catch, the the, the uh, hat uh, flying off the first to third. It was everything, and Willie loved that about it. He, he he didn't just play because it was a job or a business. He played because he was a little kid at heart and always wanted to have fun, and, and nobody showed more joyful exuberance than Willie Mays. Yeah, I, I think it was a tell-all. It's game one of the 1973 World Series. That Met team wasn't very good. It's hard to believe they even got to the World Series. But the game, game one's in Oakland, and Yogi Bear is the manager, and they announce the teams, and, the, and each guy runs out. And when Willie Mays, at 42 years old, gets introduced, gets a standing ovation in, in, in Oakland, and they pause. I've never seen this before at a World Series, where they pause to allow Willie to get his due. That just tells you an opposing player – showing up in a World Series and and, and and in the way ballpark to get a standing ovation and to allow it to, to go on for a while kind of tells you the appreciation people had for his career. Yeah, and you know how Barry Bonds was received at different ballparks? Shoot, A's fans booed Ishiro. And uh, Gary Sheffield, when he came across the bay in San Francisco, I mean, there's certain guys that just got booed everywhere. Well, Mays, despite beating up on these teams series after series was not booed at Ebbets field was not booed at Dodger stadium. He was applauded. In fact, his final game before going into the military in May of 1952, after his rookie of the year season in 51 was at Ebbets field. He made an out late in the game, ran off the field, got a standing ovation because everybody knew he was going to move on after that. He was going to miss time. And Dodger fans stood and cheered. And this is only after one season in the big leagues. And he only hit 260 his first year, but he hit some home runs. He made great plays in the outfield. He's the kind of guy you don't take your eye off, not just at the plate, but when he's out in center. But that A series was his final days in the big leagues. He's 42 years old. And he kind of wanted to retire after his, first season with the Mets. Remember, uh, the Giants won the West in 71, and age 40, Willie was really good. Still, 18 home runs, 23 out of 26 steals, led the National League in on-base percentage, led him in walks, number three hitter on the team that won the division. The following May, he's traded to the Mets. <laughs> and he goes on and has, like, the best OPS on the team. Well, he was ready to hang him up then, but Joan Payson, the owner of the Mets, said, I'll play another year. He said, ah, whatever, okay, I'll play another year. But in that last year, first time in his life he ever went on the disabled list. He had shoulder, he had knee, he had ribs, all these issues, and he hardly played in September. And fast forward to the World Series, he's in the lineup for game one because uh, Rusty Staub has a bum shoulder. He gets a hit, and the uh, A's win the opener. So game two, that's the game that everybody points to. That's the one the Mets win in extra innings. Willie gets the game-winning hit in the 12. But that's the game everybody points to as you don't want to be Willie May. You don't want to play that long. You've you got to retire when you're on top. Don't play too long, all this stuff, right? Well, you know, back in the day, they had no pension plan. I mean, people played because they loved the game. How long did Ricky Henderson play? 
<laughs> right? Independent ball in his 40s. I used to joke with him. I said, Ricky, you're going to miss your Hall of Fame induction because you're going to have a game, you know? And and these guys, they you know, you love to play. Why knock it? But anyway, Willie had a couple of falls in the in that series, and there's a great picture of him on his knees at the plate arguing with Augie Donatelli, okay? So those are the images. Willie falling, Willie arguing at the plate. So I took a real deep dive into that series and found a lot more to it than that. And talking to Reggie Jackson about the sun, talking to Raleigh Fingers, Ray Fossey, uh, Vita Blue, all these folks on both sides, Cranepool, Kuzman, Mays himself. And there's a lot more to the story than that stuff that I detail. And people might have second thoughts about, you know, condemning or using Willie as, as that example, because there were a lot of different circumstances that, that led to those things. And Hey, if he, if he fell when he was 25, nobody, nobody would have remembered it, but he falls at 42 and says, Oh, you you shouldn't be Willie Mays. But there's a lot more to the story, which is in the book. What was it like spending that much time with a living legend? Well, it was an honor and privilege and, all the cliches, you know, pinch yourself every day. It's uh, hanging out in the room with the say, Hey kid, uh, it's, it's an awesome experience. And having returned to the Bay area after covering the Padres throughout most of the eighties and coming back in 88, you know, I'd been on the giants and A's over the decades here. And Willie came back to the organization in 86. And he was always around. I mean, Chris, how many Hall of Famers are always in the clubhouse pregame? Last month in spring training, Willie was at every home game at Scottsdale Stadium pregame. You know, just in case the player wants to hang out or a coach or a manager or a writer. Um, you know, he'd hold court, he'd talk and help, guide, mentor. That's what he did. And he loves the ballpark experience. But it was awesome, Chris. I mean, come on. It was we, we figured the math and we spent more than a hundred hours together on the project. And I ended up interviewing more than 200 others to supplement his stories and to come back. Uh, you know, this, this is what Hank Aaron told me. This is what Frank Robinson told me. This is what Bill Clinton and George W. Bush told me. This is what Huey Lewis told me. This is uh, what McCovey Cepeda and the Alus, um, Bobby Richardson, Ralph Terry, Vince Scully, uh, Bob Costas. So I bring the, you know, I, it's all exclusive information. There's no bibliography, uh, nothing in between, between quotes, quotes you'd see in another book or, or publication. So it's all, it's all fresh material. And the key was Willie giving me the access. I remember the first time I interviewed him. The book, by the way, 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, co-authors Willie Mays and John Shea. Uh, so my grandfather played with Willie in New York in 1952, and it was at the end of my wow. grandfather's career. And I remember going, I was so nervous to interview him. I was really young. It was early in my career, and I told him who my grandfather was, and I. it was a great – I went, it's on some cassette tape somewhere in my garage, but it was like – it was like, wow, I'm interviewing Willie Mays, and I'm thinking about all the time you spent with him. What's the one thing that you didn't know, and you went, wow? Well, 
the, chapter 17 is devoted to, to race and the issues he experienced. And, and there's a lot in other chapters, but this is devoted exclusively to that. I mean, think about Willie Mays. He graduates in May of 1950 from high school in Fairfield, Alabama. A year later, the following May, he's the center fielder for the New York Giants at the Polo Grounds, playing for Leo DeRocher, aside Bobby Thompson and all these guys. Not, I mean, as a sophomore, junior, and senior, there was no high school baseball team at his high school. He Baseball was his third sport. He was a wonderful quarterback and a great shooting guard. But baseball was number three. They had football team and they had basketball team, but they didn't have a baseball team. Uh, the kids usually would play in local leagues and go to other regions and play those teams. Willie Mays? No, he's playing in the Negro Leagues with men in their 20s and early 30s. That's how good he was. And he was the starting center fielder on the Birmingham Black Barons that played in the final Negro League World Series in 1948. He also played for him in 49 and 50. And a few days after graduation in 50 in May, the Giants signed him. So Willie tells me, imagine Willie going from the Negro Leagues to the Interstate League, the Trenton Giants, Class B. He's the only African-American man on the team and in the entire league. And he's a kid, right? So imagine it's three years after Jackie broke the color barrier. And Willie's hearing the same darn things that Jackie heard, um, except on you know a lower level in the minors. He couldn't eat with the team. He couldn't stay at the team hotel. Uh, he, he dressed alone. And Willie tells me in private, he says, I just didn't know if it was worth it. And that kind of blew me away. I, I'm, I'm imagining right away. I said, what do you mean? No Willie Mays? If he goes back to Birmingham and works with his dad in the mills or plays with the Black Barons for a couple of more years, then hangs them up. The world wouldn't have met or been introduced to or had the pleasure to watch Willie Mays. But luckily, unfortunately for all of us, you know, he was, he overcame and beat the bigots and over, you know, just moved forward and uh, became the Willie Mays that we all know and admire. And I mean, you know, it's, it's the stuff Mickey Mantle never had to go through. And they were pretty much the same guy, born in the same year, uh, debuting in 51, same city, playing the same position. Mickey was across the river, but, uh, uh, you know, he, he just never had to go through anything like, like Willie did, but Willie came out on top. Yeah. What those guys did, you know, Larry Doby, you throw him in there. And I always encourage people, if you're ever in Kansas city to go to the Negro league museum, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, these guys, what they did, it changed the world. It changed the military. It changed so much. You can learn so much at this museum. Once again, the book is 24 life stories and lessons from the say, Hey kid. Uh, Let's talk a little baseball. So when we get this thing going again, hopefully sooner than later, it's going to be different. You know, it looks like we're going to have a, a universal DH. There's going to be no fans in the stands. I mean, there's going to be some changes, John. Yeah, everything that baseball wanted to push through, uh, they just might push through because the public and the country is so hungry for baseball to return under the right circumstances, once the doctors and the scientists and not the politicians okay this stuff, 
and they say play ball, well, baseball is going to play ball. And you're right. Uh, I, I've heard very little argument or debate about a universal DH in a normal world. If they said, oh, by the way, the National League will have a DH this year, it would have been chaos in the streets. <laughs> I mean, it, it just. but now if you know, they want a, a, a robo-up behind the plate, we're going to have a robo-up behind the plate. Okay, no, it's, it's distancing, okay? But I still can't picture a catcher crouching two feet behind a batter. That's not distancing. I mean, the outfielders are separated, infielders separated, pitchers out there all alone. And I'm thinking the catcher is right there. Uh, everybody in the dugout, in the bullpen, they're bunched up. And you see it in Korea, but they've had better success than we've had. And uh, it, <laughs> hey, if, if Major League Baseball announced tomorrow that, hey, we changed the rule, by the way. The, uh, the batter is not going to run to first base after he hits it. He's going to run to third base. The public is so hungry, they would say, oh, okay, just bring it on. Yeah, and I can tell you, watching Korean baseball, uh, a couple of these games, I mean, after you watch a couple innings, you kind of don't even notice or even care that there are no fans. You're just, you're just happy to be watching a guy throwing a baseball and a guy hitting it and a guy fielding it. It's just whether the fans are there or not, it becomes irrelevant. And face it, more people watch it on TV than go to the games. So that's not going to be any different. It's just the experience of bringing your kid, bring, going with your parent, whatever it is, buddies. Uh, you know, it's just not going to happen for a while. And that's just the way of the world. But, you know, we tend to adjust fast, you know, the, the reasonable thinking people anyway. And if it's made for TV, it's made for TV. So it's going to be odd for these guys. I talked to somebody, a couple of players who were in, that Orioles game, uh, you know, 15, when there were no fans. There was civil unrest in Baltimore, and they played a game, and nobody attended. Attendance, zero. And Justin Marja, you know, former ace pitcher, now with the Giants, said that was, that was a pretty tough thing, um, Chicago at the time. And I wouldn't recommend it. But, listen, it's, you know, all bets are off. Uh, if it means playing baseball, it means playing baseball. And hopefully that time will come, you know, sooner rather than later that fans can go out there. But for the time being, for the safety of them, for the safety of the players, uh, all the workers, um, grounds crew, coaches, staff, trainers, uh, there will be no fans at the beginning. That's going to be the oddest thing. But you know what? I think once you start playing ball, you kind of phase the fans out anyway. Right. I mean, in the moment, in the heat of battle, the pitcher never hears the fan. The batter never hears the fan, you know, for in large part. That's what they say. That's what they tell us. But what's going to be odd is if you hit a big home run and there's nobody cheering except for your teammates in the dugout. That's going to be the oddity of it all. But you know what? I bet it's going to be uh, very celebratory and uh, animated and these, these players are going to be so tickled to get on the field and do what they do best. And they're knowing that everybody's watching at home. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more celebrations than we used to see, especially in the wake of what they're doing in Korea. They celebrate everything. <laughs> I know. It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> let, 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 let's end on this uh, from an A's standpoint. Of course, you cover all of baseball, including the A's and the Giants. You know, there was a big question in spring training. How much are you going to be able to pitch Jesus Lazardo? How much are you going to be able to pitch A.J. Puck? But now in a shortened season, 
it's kind of like all bets are off and it's like, hey, these guys can now take the ball every five days and we don't have to worry about inning, innings limits. How big is that going to be for the green and gold? That's, that's a great thought because the, the, the beauty of the season was supposed to be this young rotation uh, that was just going to outpitch recent rotations by far because the offense is there, the defense is there. Uh, the, the bullpen has been off and on when they do well, the bullpen's right there, but the rotation, Hey, it'd be great to get guys going six innings instead of four or five, six or seven would be wonderful. And if these kids, if they're doing all the work that they're supposed to be doing and they come out after three weeks of spring training and, and they're on fire, that could be pretty good stuff for the A's, especially, um, Luzardo and Puck. Uh, they're deeper than that, obviously. They go five deep, if not further. But it, it's, you know, it, it might be a thing if, uh, if you can trust uh, Stratomatic <laughs> and APA and all the card and dice games that we're seeing being played. Um, on paper, they're an awfully good team. And it's just a matter of whether those young starters, which, you know, they're not going to have April and May and June to season themselves for July, August, and September, it's just going to be July, August, and September. So they're going to show up, and they're going to be in a pennant race. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be wild. The book, 24, Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid, Willie Mays and John Shea. John, I always appreciate your time, and hopefully we will uh, – hopefully soon, I don't know when, but we'll see, you at a, we'll see you over at the Oakland Coliseum. Or else on Zoom. <laughs> you take care buddy and good luck with the book thank you so much chris well he's one of the legends in our game he's one of the great baseball announcers of course also doing basketball in college tom hamilton of the cleveland indians is with us here on a's cast live how are you tom well very good chris thank you i appreciate the the kind words um but uh i, I think you may have exaggerated there but thank you nonetheless and uh now we're doing good and you know just thankful that uh all of us for the most part including our four children who are all over the country are healthy and uh you're more grateful for that than uh we probably ever realized in our lives so hope the same is true for you folks in the bay area fans and uh you know it's just uh, real and you you wake up every morning going um okay when is this nightmare over and uh you know it just kind of continues you know you have one of the great home run calls and i bet if you could ask any indian fan uh what they're missing the most i I bet that would be (laughs) it your home run call it's and i've been in a booth next to you and listening to you do that call it's phenomenal well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's uh, it's certainly nothing planned. It you know you don't go into a game, or at least I don't. And 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 the other thing is that I never call home runs the same. I think you get noted um, for calling them a certain way, even though you may not do them all the same way. I think the worst thing you can do in this business is oh, I've got my home run call all teed up here, and you know the shortstop makes the catch, and you know you look like a clown. So you just kind of try to let the game dictate where you go. And, and, uh, and I've, I've been fortunate boy when back in the nineties, uh, you know, the nice thing about those teams, when you saw a ball hit, you never had to wonder, was it a home run or not? Because it was usually 20 rows up. So, 
you know, I've, I've been very fortunate to, to cover some really good teams here with the ball club and, uh, and, and certainly remember my first years, 1990, going out to the Oakland Coliseum and going, would it be ever nice to come out here and win one game once and not always get swept by those juggernaut Oakland A's teams and the Bash Brothers back then? You know, you think back, and we're watching a lot of classic games, and you think about those Indian teams in the 90s, it's really hard. And I know we, you know, for, for our younger listeners out there, uh, those teams are so stacked with Hall of Famers, legendary names. Uh, we got a chance to interview Sandy Alomar Jr. in Las Vegas in spring training when the A's were taking on the Indians. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that, that not one of those teams won a World Series because they had so much talent. Yeah, I, I agree, Chris. I think that's one of the, the disappointments, you know. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure even Oakland fans, now fortunately they, they got that World Series, although I'm sure some people always look at that and go, well, we never really got to celebrate it because of the earthquake and, and how that even kind of, uh, put a tinge on that World Series because you folks were dealing with so much else in the Bay Area that baseball seemed secondary. And uh, but Oakland got that one, and you know it, it's like anything else. People probably feel those clubs should have won more. Uh, but you know, you, it, it just goes to show whether you were those juggernauts with the Oakland A's or the Indians in the '90s. Boy, you get to October. And all bets are off. And I, and I think that's also what makes our sport um, so special. In, in some ways, our playoffs remind me a little bit of the National Hockey League playoffs where, you know, it, it, you never really know. You get a hot goalie and the next thing you know, the eighth seed is in the Stanley Cup finals. And you're like, how the heck did that happen? And in baseball come October, you know, our 97 team, um, got to game seven of the World Series and, and lost it in the ninth inning and into extra innings to the Marlins. And, and I would tell you that that 97 team was, you know, one of the least impactful clubs that we had back in the 90s. And yet it got that close. And even in 2016, Chris, uh, the Indians get to game seven in that, you know, really historical World Series with the Cubs. And that team did it without three starting pitchers, you know, and, and you were basically down to Corey Kluber and, and Josh Tomlin and somehow got to game seven with the Cubs. And the next year in 2017, you win 22 in a row and get bumped out in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, the one thing, the, the longer you're in this game, the more you realize just get to October um, because you, you just don't know what's going to happen in the major league playoffs, which is why if we do get back playing this year, Chris, with the expanded playoffs, with now the best of three wild card series that seems to be in the offing, should we get to a baseball season? Can you imagine what this October might look like in baseball compared to other Octobers? It truly will be unpredictable. You know, two years ago, the Yankees won a hundred games and the A's won 97 we're in the wild card game. Last yeah. year, the A's win 97, the Rays win 96, and your Indians win 93. You win 93 games, you're not even in the playoffs. This is crazy. Not in the playoffs. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that's, you know, I think that was 
also the one thing about last year and kind of the one thing that concerns me about what we've had here the last few years, Chris, is the haves and the have-nots. We just haven't had much of a gray area. Um, you know, you have either teams winning 100 games or losing 100 games. That's not good for the game. You know, our division last year and uh, really the last couple of years have had three teams rebuilding at the same time, the White Sox, Royals, and Tigers. Uh, you can go back a few years before that, and three years in a row, the Central Division had the World Series representative, either the Kansas City Royals or the Cleveland Indians. So I know that's all cyclical in our game, but um, I hope the one thing that maybe comes out of all of this and when we eventually have a new CBA is that, Chris, we get back to, look, um, not everybody can be a contender every year. We get that. But I, I think what we've got to be really careful of is just having teams going to spring training with no hope, not only for that year, but for the next five years. That, to me, is not good for the game. And, and I think it's led to some of what you just mentioned, where you've got teams with 98 and 100 wins playing in a wild card game. How the heck does that happen? <laughs> I know. It's, just, it, it's crazy. And then I also think of Christian Yelich signing that extension with Milwaukee and some people criticize <laughs> him, but I mean, it's like, come on, you, you know, when you have to, when you, when, when you got over 200 million in the bank, you, you and your family yep. are going to be fine. And I think about Lindor and how special he is and what he means to the team. We have no idea if they will even be a trading deadline this year, but I, I would like to see him stay in Cleveland. I want to see teams like for us, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Simeon. You know, I, I, I want to see us keep our players that the fans love. What do you think long-term is in the future for, for Francisco Lindor? Well, first off, I, I, I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly with you. I'm from Wisconsin, and while I'm not a Brewers fan now, I was thrilled for that city and that state that a player said, I don't have to make the last nickel. I'm making really good money, and I love it here. And that, that, that's what our game needs more of. Hey, look, I know players have earned the right to do whatever they want to do. And trust me, I don't know of many organizations that have lost more superstar players to free agency than the Indians. If it comes down to – being a free agent and wanting to get the most money, it's never going to happen in Cleveland and it's never going to happen in Oakland and it's never going to happen in Milwaukee or in Kansas city. And so when you have a George Brett, when you have a Robin Yount that play their entire careers there or Kirby Puckett at Minnesota, who could have gone on the free agent market and made more money. That's what I wished we would see more of. When you talk about Frankie Lindor, and again, I will go back to the one thing that I'll always say, a player has earned the right to do whatever he wants. But if you do want to stay in the city that you're in, then you'll make it happen. You know, Mike Trout could have left Anaheim. Now, he's handsomely paid. We get all of that. You don't think he could have gotten more on the open market? Sure, he could have. So, you know, it's still got to be a two-way street. When you mention Frankie Lindor, I mean, Chris, I can say without equivocation, it is 99.95%. He's gone, period. You know, and that's Frankie's right. He's earned that, one, because he is not only one of the great talents in the game, 
and certainly a player that might be the first pick of a lot of GMs if they were starting a ball club from scratch. But he's also got the personality. He's got the smile. You know, he's got that gravitas. He's a good teammate. Yeah, he's everything you want in a player. He's everything you want to represent your franchise and the city. But it's not going to continue here. He's made that quite clear, as has his agent. They say the right things. But again, if you want to stay, you'll make it happen. You'll work something out. They've tried to sign him multiple times to long-term contract extensions, even when he was in his second year as a major leaguer. When guys turn down that security for the kind of money that he turned down, you know what the end result is going to be. And so I also think, though, Chris, I think this pandemic, and again, what do I know? But I really think this pandemic is going to change free agency for the next several years. Look, Frankie Lindor is going to get a tremendous contract when he comes out on the open market, but they're not going to get the contracts that were out there as late as last year. Uh, This industry is taking a gigantic hit, whether we play this year or not. And we have no idea what the future holds. I mean, Major League Baseball could be impacted again next year. Nothing is ever going to be the same in this country until we have a vaccine that we know works. And so I'm thinking of a guy like Trevor Bauer, who has been longing for the day to be a free agent. Well, you're going to get your wish, Trevor. Your free agency will be at the end of this World Series here in 2020. And watch how the bottom has fallen out of his market because of what has happened. You know, these ball clubs, these owners may be as as rich as they may be, but they didn't get rich by being stupid and by losing hundreds of millions of dollars, which could happen this year. And I think it's going to have a great impact on Trevor Bauer, on Frankie Lindor, on any free agent in the coming years. You know, when we were back in Cleveland this past year, I was with the ball club. And of course, Ray Fossey is a A's legend. I went out to Heritage Park with Ray to interview him at his plaque. And (laughs) that is the one thing that I think these guys, like, because, you know, it was just Tony Gwynn's birthday. And I think about the big statue that Tony has down in San Diego. It's like, you want to tell these guys, listen, I understand money. You're going to make money either way. But do you want to be honored for the forever? We, you, you want to be a statue guy? Free agents don't become statue guys. Statue guys are guys that stay with the organization their entire career. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, when you and I, I wish, you know, it's been a lot longer for me than it's been you than when I was in my 20s. I, you know, I think a lot of times when you're that age, you, you don't, you know, I, shoot, when I was in my 20s, if I thought of somebody that is my age now, I would have thought, well, I, you know, whatever, that guy should be in the cemetery by now. You know, now I'm going, oh, I, I don't know about that. I hope I've got another 20 years left. So <laughs> I, I think when you're that age, it's all a matter of perception, Chris, and you're not thinking about legacy. You're, you're, you, I think sometimes they get pressurized. I know they do uh, by the union, especially if you're the top free agent that year that they want you to come out and set the market for everybody else. So, you know, again, a lot depends on the player and the agent. At the end of the day, the player has to realize the agent works for him and and not vice versa. And again, it's all up to the player. I understand if, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. If a player tells me, look, I want to be a free agent and get the very most money I can get, I respect that. 
I don't respect when a player says, I, I want to play with this certain team in this market for the rest of my career. And it's like, no, you don't. You're saying that because you don't want the fans to turn on you. You're saying what you should say is, I want to be a Cleveland Indian or I want to be an Oakland A for the rest of my career, as long as they give me the most money of any team in the game. That's really what the reality of it is. I wish there were more guys that wanted to be legacy, but I also get it. I, you know, um, they've earned that right to go out and, and you know, um, be the, the show pony of that free agency crop and, and see what they can get. And, 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 and also there should be the ability to go and play someplace else. Maybe you want to live someplace else or place for some. I, I respect that. They should be given that right. It's a, a society that encourages that. But, you know, just be upfront about it. And I, I think people would be more understanding, but I think that's wishful thinking. Tom, it's great to hear your voice. We truly appreciate the time. Can't wait to get this thing going. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at the Coliseum at some, sometime soon. Well, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, based on the schedule, I don't think we're, we're going to get uh, – I guess we will get west of the Mississippi, but it won't be by much. But uh, I wish you guys the best as well as the Oakland A's fans because, yeah, I, I really feel bad for everybody. But there are certain teams that have really primed for this moment. Oakland had a chance to be a special club this year. And uh, I know what it was like for us in 94 when the strike came and ended a dream season. Luckily, it restarted in 95 and we picked up from there. Um, I just want the Oakland A's and their fans to have a chance to have the kind of season that they, they've really worked for uh, here in 2020. Well, our next guest here on A's Cast Live is a World Series champion. He's a five-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, four-time Silver Slugger Award winner, led the National League in home runs, RBIs. He's been manager of the year in the National League, and he was the premier uh, third baseman during his time and of course was an A's coach the great Matt Williams is with us from South Korea how are you hey Chris how are you it's uh, uh, a little different a little different time uh, zone over here but uh, it's good to talk to you so what has this experience been like for you well it's it's different uh, for sure um, I got a chance to come over last fall and get a little bit of lay of the land. Um, spent 31 days here during the Kia Tigers fall camp. Uh, and then, and then it was, you know, we thought business as usual uh, until around the first of the year. Um, spring had spring training in Florida and uh, we were there for an extended period of time because during that time they had a real bad outbreak in South Korea of COVID. So uh, we spent a little extra time there and finally got a chance to get over here and uh, get ready for the season. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys are the template of what's going to happen with Japanese baseball, what's going to happen with Major League Baseball. So how are you guys going about it trying to protect your players? Well, everybody is essentially um, on lockdown, if you will. It's it's very similar to the stay-at-home orders that you see in the states, or um, you know, things of that nature. But we're at the ballpark, or we're at the hotel, or we are at our home. Um, not a whole lot of venturing out. 
the, the organization has been ultra accommodating with regard to making sure that everybody is safe and everybody is fed and uh, transported and all of those things that, um, you know, present dangers as you, as you try to live a normal, a somewhat normal life. But, um, you know, we're just trying to make sure everybody adheres to the rules and regulations, one of the government and two of the organization and KBO to make sure that everybody stays healthy uh, so that we can play the games that we're playing. Yeah, we've been watching it, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the style of baseball. It's been fun to watch, but you have an interpreter. What is that? You know, So you can have three American players or three foreign players, but then the rest of the guys, they right. speak Korean. Obviously, you don't. What's that like as a manager? Well, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. Um, you would think that um, – you know, it would be foreign to the, the Korean players. But the majority of our guys, we've got a very young team. So the majority of our guys have been taught English in some form or fashion. So they can understand. You know, if I get into intricate detail about something, they may not. But they certainly understand the language of baseball. And they understand the majority of the things that I may, may want to be telling them. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's great to have Eugene Koo who, who has major league experience. He, uh, he worked for the pitcher, uh, uh, his last name's O, pitched for the Cardinals, pitched for, um, for the Blue Jays. So he's got the experience of dealing on the other side of it um, with a foreign player going to the States. So he's certainly um, multilingual, and he gets my point across if, uh, if anybody is having any trouble understanding. Just how good is it to be back managing again? That's fun. It's, it's, as you said, it's a little different style. Um, and, uh, and a little different league, as you know, we have 10 teams in the league. Um, the, you know, the, the, the schedule is such that we have every Monday off. So that is a little different. Um, we play games. Uh, if we get into extra innings, we can't go more than 12 innings. Uh, if we, if we have a double header than those games, cannot go into extra innings. So, you know, it's a little bit different, uh, a little bit challenging at times, but it, it's fun. I, I enjoy teaching. That's probably the thing I enjoy most. And, uh, and we have a lot of young players that are eager to learn. That's for sure. I remember being at Candlestick Park. It was Dodgers Giants. I can't remember who the Dodger was, but somebody was showboating. And I remember you screaming at this Dodger guy. And I think fast forward to now, it's bat flips, it's fist pumps. It's like a totally different than what you were brought up in. Well, you know, I, I, I like to consider myself like a fine wine. Sometimes you mellow with age. You know, so maybe I'm not quite as fiery as I once was, but it is the style of play here. It is, you know, if you, if you took a regular game, I don't know if you've seen any video on it on YouTube or anything, or if anybody that's listening wants to take a look, just pull up KBO on, on, on YouTube. And the fans are incredibly excited. There's noise throughout the game generally. Um, you know, they have chance for every player. Uh, we've got the biggest fan base here for sure. And, uh, you know, right now we don't see any of that because we have no fans in the stands, but, uh, ordinarily it's just a different way of playing the game. And so, yeah, if somebody bat flips, then nobody takes exception to it. Um, because if one of our guys does, then, 
that's okay too. Uh, how has it been without fans? It's a little strange. It's uh, so, um, you know, cheerleaders, right? So uh, each home team has a set of cheerleaders. So they cheer when the home team is at bat. And so when we're, if we're on playing on the road and, uh, and we're at bat in that inning, it's eerily silent. Uh, but when the home team comes up, then the cheerleaders are going, they're playing songs throughout at bats. Um, they have their chance, of course. And, and so it's a little bit different as you go from half inning to half inning. But it's a little strange. You know, we're, we're all used to having somebody in the stands watching, whether it's mom and dad when you're a kid or, or um, you know, a high school game or a college game or uh, all the way to the big leagues where you've got stadiums full of people. Uh, when there's nobody there, it's a little bit different feeling for sure. When you look at the the talent level where do you think from big league to maybe triple a double where do you think the talent level is of the kbo it's hard to say there's there's a you know there's a number of of kbo players that have gone on to play in the major leagues and play well um and then there's some that that haven't so you know it, it ranges um we have roughly 94 players uh, within the within the whole organization, so it's limited in that regard. There's not there isn't the, the multi-level minor league system that you have in the U.S. You have the, the 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 major league club, if you will, and then one minor league club underneath that, and then kind of a, de- a development club be, beyond that. So, um, the, yeah, it's a small country, of course, and the, so the the pool of players that they pull from is not as great as it is in the U.S. or, um, in, in, you know, in a Latin country either. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, you got some 4A guys. You've got some guys that uh, have gone on to play in the big leagues. Uh, some guys that have, have gone and, and played and had a cup of coffee in the major leagues and then come back. So it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of all over the place. But they love to play, man. I tell you what, they work hard uh, every single day. They're eager to get here and play. Uh, every day so that's really enjoyable you know in your great career you played in some huge games and and you haven't been able to see this but some of the legendary games you played in are being re-aired on MLB Network you were part of two walk-off game seven world series obviously in 2001 when you took down the New York Yankees with the D-backs but then you lost as a Cleveland Indian against the Marlins. I don't know how many people have ever been in, in two games like that in their career. I know. Yeah. One, it is so, it is so bitter when when it's the wrong end of the stick, but it's so gratifying when you're on the other side and you're able to win it. Ultimately it's what we all play for. You know, we play to win the world series and it's the same over here. You know, we're, we're playing to win every single day. We're playing to win the KBO championship. Um, and you know, ultimately that's, that's the goal. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's rough when it comes down it, anytime you get beat, uh, especially in the world series, especially in extra innings of that world series. Uh, it makes for a long winter. That's for sure. Well, I know the bond, you know, cause of Bob Melvin, Bob Brindley and all the players we've had Luis Gonzalez on the show. I've asked him this, there is that real special bond of that Diamondbacks team. And I wanted to ask you after watching that game, uh, when Randy Johnson comes out in game seven, the stadium just went 
it just exploded. What was that like? Yeah. Well, he'd gone the night before and thrown 115 or 116 pitches uh, and told Bob Brindley immediately after the game that uh, I'm available tomorrow. So, you know, that and made it known, I think, wanted to make it known for the rest of the players. Um, as you recall, uh, we went to uh, Yankee Stadium and lost some heartbreaking games. And then came back and and really gave it to the Yankees in game six, beat them 15 to two. And so we wanted to keep that momentum. And Randy standing there, you know, in the earshot of everybody, letting Bob know that, hey, I'm I'm available tomorrow. I don't care whether I have to go out and throw 100 more um, was a shot in the arm for us. It, It was a great team. It was a bunch of older guys, a bunch of guys that that had never gotten to the World Series that it was nothing but about winning. That was it. They had made their money. They had their great careers. Uh, they were at the end of it. And it was simply about winning. And, uh, and that's, that, that was a really fun team to be on. Let's end on this. How many, and I know you're all about winning. Uh, what kind yeah. of chances do your, does, your, does this team have? How long is the season? And then how long is the playoffs? Well, it's a, it's a little bit um, strange because, uh, well, well, if we look at our team, we've got young, young players, we've got talented players, but, but players that are still trying to find their way uh, at points as well. So what we'd like to do this year, realistic goal, is to make the playoffs. Five of the ten teams make the playoffs every year. So we'd like to do that. The team finished in seventh place last year. So we'd like to get to the playoffs and see what we can do. Um, secondly, the, the season is 144 games. So in essence, we play a minor league season in a major league time frame. So the fact that we started on May 5th, we're going to run our season all the way through the end of October. And then the playoffs will start sometime in November. So the time frame is a little bit different. Uh, they talked about cutting the amount of games down uh, because we started late, but they decided that since, uh, since, you know, they've done a nice job of, of uh, knocking COVID down here, that they would, they would continue to play the full season. Um, some different things that are happening. We now play double headers. We now play on the off day if we do, ha- in fact, have a rain out. So it's more American-style scheduling. Uh, but we'll play 144 uh, and, uh, and see where we end up at the end. But hopefully we're, we're somewhere in that top five. Well, good luck to your club. We're going to be watching, and we miss you back here in Oakland. We always appreciate the time. Be safe, be well, and hopefully we'll talk later on in your season. Sounds good. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 